2: Now, Kevin. Technically speaking, this would be like December twenty third for you, right? This is a trivia question. We're testing him early in the morning, Mark.
0: December twenty third. Is this, this is, because you're out tomorrow and that's Christmas?
3: Well, that's true too. Oh, wow, that's a jerk thing to say. You're happy like, Jake's gone. I
0: feel like he's. You've you've brought that up before. <laughs> there was a the start of the show where you're like, "Did you go to church yesterday?" And I was like, "What?" I, I was confused by that. Uh, but I guess I'm not totally following
2: tomorrow would be i guess christmas eve because if i'm not mistaken and i certainly could be that happened once in 1981 i was mistaken about something uh but i believe yesterday it was dropped that the colts schedule will drop on thursday right so this is the eve of the eve got it got it got it yeah
0: i i I don't know if it's christmas i would say it's more of just peace of mind like to your point, you said that you have a trip that you're gonna plan around the Colts by week.
2: Yeah. I mean it's I nice mean, to got, kinda know, you know right
0: my birthdays in the Colts season, Maddie's birthday's in the Colts season, right. and obviously you've got holidays. And this year's schedule, you know, there are some tweaks to it. Uh, not every team is guaranteed to play on Thursday night football. You could have multiple games on Thursday night. I, I don't think the Colts are like a guaranteed primetime team. Um you know, the uncertainty over Anthony Richardson when he would start I think
2: that's an interesting I would debate. I think they'll get a Thursday night game, don't you think?
0: Yeah, it, probably. But then, like, if you're the schedule makers, do you want to bank on Anthony Richardson starting? Good point. I mean, it's not like Gardner Minshew is going to move the needle for Amazon. But uh, yes, Thursday night. So we'll recap that coming up on Friday. We can get into this a little bit more today. And, Jake, I know it's on paper. And I guarantee you, this time last year, I probably said, oh, the NFC East, they're not going to be very good this year. You just never know, though, right? On paper, though, there are like zero marquee quarterbacks coming to Lucas Oil Stadium. Like It's wild how the Colts have this schedule, more so at home. They they go and play Joe Burrow. They go and play Lamar Jackson. Um, But if you look at the home slate, there's just not a lot of marquee quarterbacks. So, again, we can get into that a little bit later uh, today. Do
2: you remember, Kevin, I can't recall if it was... I think it was two seasons ago. They all, and I apologize. They all run together to me, and you know I don't wake up till about nine forty-five. But there were—I think it was two years ago, maybe three—where just everything fell the Colts' way, schedule-wise, in terms of they didn't play like a. They played like four straight games where the team's design starting quarterback was out. Yeah, uh, sure. You know what I mean? Like every ball f- bounced their way. That happens sometimes. Sure. Um, the other thing about the NFL schedule to me that becomes enigmatic is just the fact that you, you never know from one year to the next. I mean, whoever would have guessed a year ago, for example, I mean, I think people knew Philadelphia would be good, but did anybody think for example that like a Philadelphia December game would be against a 12-win 13 14, you know, win team, right? I mean, Well, correct or, me
0: if I'm wrong. I think the biggest loss the Colts had last season was against the Giants, and I guarantee you when the schedule came out, I would have picked the Giants as like 13th easiest opponent.
2: Exactly. I, you just never know, right, the way teams gel together. Health is a big issue in the NFL. Good morning to you on, today is Tuesday, right? Tuesday, yep. Uh, Tuesday in May, and it is already a really good-looking start to the day. Hope that you folks are... Ready for a big day today. My name is Jay Query, Kevin Bowen, the voice you just heard. Mark Dykton here as well. It is, and and they had a meeting for like three weeks before they came up with the name of this program. Kevin and Query here on 93.5 and 107.5, the fan. Uh, did you stay up last night to watch what I think was the L.A. Lakers taking hold of that series with the Warriors. I do think that they are going to advance now. I, I thought the winner of last night's game was going to win that series.
0: Yeah, I bailed at halftime, and then Max um, started making quite a bit of noise at about 3.30, so I dialed up the highlights from the fourth quarter, and Lonnie Walker the fourth was <laughs> pretty darn special in the fourth quarter. You know, this Lakers team is very hodgepodge. It took a lot of interesting moves to kind of piece together the guys around Anthony Davis and LeBron James. Certainly a lot of drama. I mean, how many times was Miles Turner and Buddy Heald thrown around potential Lakers pieces? Right. And if you look at the most consistent guy for the Lakers throughout this postseason, it's a dude that used to be a G leaker for them in Austin Reeves. And last night he was Super consistent again as a score. And then Lonnie Walker in the fourth quarter had 15 points. Yes, LeBron and Anthony Davis have had moments, Jake, where they still look like they can get it done at a really, really high level. It's probably not to the consistency of a... And again, these guys have been incredible. Jimmy Butler, Devin Booker, Jokic, etc. in these playoffs. But how about one for the Lakers supporting cast? And Lonnie Walker again last night. That was the difference in the fourth quarter. Lakers outscoring by 10. And win the game, and now, to your point, 3-1 in the series, and
2: they are in control. I mean, Russell won for 10 from the floor and four points, and the Lakers still win.
0: And he would be the guy that you would probably most peg as the third guy. Dennis Schroeder has been big for him. Rui Hachimura has had his moments, particularly early in the playoffs. Um, so the Lakers go up 3-1. The Heat go up 3-1. They continue to just methodically control that series over the Knicks. So right there... If we continue to get that, get that, that's a uh, that's a bubble finals rematch, right? Heat Lakers, yeah.
2: I the Heat aren't going to win the East though, right? Isn't this? I, but don't we kind of say this all the time, right? I don't know. Don't the Celtics
0: have a little bit of a? Assuming the Celtics win, I mean, that's a best of three series now. I think whoever wins Boston or Philly, they've got the big piano on their back. Heading into the Eastern Conference Finals. Now,
2: did you ever see that movie, Something About Mary? I know you've seen it, Mark, sure. right? I've actually never seen it. <laughs> yeah, Not right. once. Isn't that a, ba- a piano on his back he's got when he's helping the fellow move? Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that what it is? I mm-hmm. think it is, right? Yeah. Um, by the way, Jim Mersey does have the contest, Kevin. Several people have reminded me that if you guess the Colts' schedule in order, a right. million bucks. All
0: oh, right. Better chance I win the Indianapolis
2: 500 in three weeks. Well, that's... And I just got done with the math class, so I've... Combinations?
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Isn't it an 18 permutation?
2: Correct. Because
0: you have to get the bi-week right, too. Yeah, you're right. Along with the 17 opponents. So, what is that, 18 exclamation point?
2: Yeah. I mean, that's a... It's an insane number. the, The number of combinations. Well... Did you use a graphing calculator in
0: your math classes? No. Recently? Did you play Tetris on that calculator?
2: No. I, I didn't even actually have a calculator other than the one on my phone. I did have a tutor. Mark, um, do kids need graphing calculators? Mark, did you?
3: I mean, you, you used a graphing oh, calculator. TI-89 right day, right? or yeah, whatever yeah, sure. they were? Oh, yeah. Gosh, I played so much Tetris. Yeah. Or was it Snake? You could play Snake oh, on there, Snake. too.
0: Snake. On the Mount Rushmore mm-hmm. of games. Uh, yeah, I, there's no chance, right? What is it? I, I haven't even really looked at the details. Ursa has given away a million if you predict it right. Is that what the number is? One
2: million dollars, yep. I mean your odds are literally 1 in here I'm looking at it right here. There are the number of combinations, okay? Is it 6 oh boy. I I, I 6402373705728000. Zero, zero, zero. That's the number of combinations.
0: <laughs> Do they list the commas or just the numbers? How many no, commas I, are I,
2: that's what I'm looking for the, the commas here. There's one. 5 to yeah you're looking at 64 billion combinations is that right i mean i don't don't know a a ton it's harder than people think let's put it that way
0: yeah i would say
2: that's accurate
0: are you feeling a little christmasy i mean this time tomorrow you are mere hours away from graduating i get to
2: sleep like an extra half an hour tomorrow
0: i know you at times have poked fun at it i think it's an awesome awesome accomplishment
2: well i I appreciate that to do
0: it I mean, it takes a bit of vulnerability. It takes
2: certainly some dedication. Well, you you know, your aunt is the one that's responsible, right? Your aunt-in-law, correct? Yeah, my wife's aunt. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it would have been right before we started doing this program, when I was on with JMV, we were talking about IU football, and JMV said, well, Jake, you're a graduate of Indiana. And I said, John, I'm not a graduate. I went to school there, but I did not graduate. I always felt like it was my responsibility to be candid about that. Um, And I was probably a little embarrassed about it in the early part of my career just because everybody that I grew up with and went to school with graduated from college. I mean, I I was very fortunate, Kevin, that I grew up in an environment where the question is, I'm sure, probably was the same for you. When we were in high school, it was not, are you going to college? It's, where are you going to college? Mm -hmm. And so I was very fortunate that my parents raised me in in that sort of an environment. I know that's not the case for everybody. Um, So I had that opportunity and kind of squandered it, truthfully, but I just wasn't focused on it and just went in a different direction. So when I said that on the air, um, Teresa Lubbers, who at that time was the commissioner for the Department of Higher Education in Indiana, reached out to me and said, would you be interested in going back and finishing? And I'm like, man, I, I don't know. And, and and there were admittedly several times. At that time, I had, I believe, 19 hours remaining. But there were several that were not available again to match the English degree that I had originally set out for. So I, had, I picked up some extra hours. I needed 37 total hours to graduate. So... I said, okay, I'll do it. And, it, and if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it and try to do it. And I really did. There were a couple of times where I thought, I can't do this. I'll be honest with you. The algebra class that I had to take, I thought, I called my parents and said, I can't do it. I don't know what to do now because I'm, I've been public that I'm doing this as part of the effort that Teresa had reached out to me to kind of make people aware that it was an option for people. Uh, the rest of it I enjoyed. The math was very difficult for me, but I enjoyed it. Um, I would encourage anybody who is thinking about it doing it online in particular you can kind of go at your own pace sure
0: yeah nowadays it's much much easier Um,
2: so that was you know you kind of do it within the parameters of the time of the week that you can now i would say i mean the math class that i just finished i was probably doing three to six hours a week on it the others not as much some classes more than others but i enjoyed it and i'd say it's a relief admittedly i'd say it's a relief um i don't think it's worthy of like a congratulations because i should have done it the first time it's much easier to do something right the first time than to go back and do it again yeah but it's much easier never to go back probably you know you've reached
0: a level of your life that it's not like you need to do this by any means um and and i think it's because i was talking to theresa about this i mean The statistics on people that have yet to finish their degree, J.K., it's pretty
2: staggering. Yeah, 700,000 people in the state of Indiana uh, are in the same situation. And and again, folks, I want to make sure – I know it's a financial commitment. Sure. Uh, That's not easy. Without question, yeah. There are avenues and resources available to come up with to help out with the financial aspect of it. But if you've sat there and thought about it, I will say, if you've thought about it and you've thought, I can't do this or I don't want to do it or what's holding me back – um, it does feel pretty good to get it done. I, I will say that. It is weird. This week, I'm like, I mean, we're going right into May, so it kind of worked out, right? Because life gets kind of crazy here in the next week. But the last couple of days, I'm like on, over the weekend, I'm like, wait a minute, I have like no assignments to do. So what time should we expect a call from you tomorrow? I don't know. You tell me, uh, what, Mark books those things. Mark, what time are you, you booking your guests I, tomorrow? En
0: route up US 31. again. <laughs> like,
2: I, what, what
3: time does the ceremony start?
2: 10 oh well, nine
3: forty-five. Oh, right shoot.
2: before you're while you're it in starts, line it starts at 10 and they said we'll see you on, t- for the gathering beforehand at 7 30 and i thought yeah, no, no, let's see that's unlikely
0: oh wow breakfast at the hip hugger
3: brunch at the hip hugger <laughs> it's a little aggressive Those texas Post- omelets are to
2: die for though a Post- little aggressive Brad.
3: um well, well. Figure, maybe we'll call you a couple times maybe we should do that bother you all, all
2: morning. you know you might want to call once to see if i'm awake Oh <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Make sure you
3: have
0: your credential on you or whatever you. Do. Okay, yeah. thanks. Yeah.
2: do you know who I am? I'll get up there and forget
0: my <laughs> forget my gown. Uh, Joel A. Erickson going to join us at eight o'clock. We'll talk some rookie minicamp with him. Colts roster at ninety, technically ninety-one uh, for the first time all off season, uh, and then I feel like our guests at eight thirty and nine today. At different points in the U.S., were those two like? Two of the most popular athletes, regardless
2: of sport. Yeah, uh, that's fair. One of them probably more so for outside of athletics, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. And talking about Elio Castroneves, Correct. I assume, uh, joins us at 9 o'clock at 830 30. Our guest will be probably one of the first athletes I ever really remember, certainly from a video game standpoint more than anything. I just remembered if I was Marshall, I would be dominant with Chad Pennington and Randy Moss. And if I was Florida with him and Steve Spurrier, I was not losing, and that would be Danny Werfel.
2: Danny Werfel's I mean, that's I'm really looking forward to that because I would assume when it comes to watching and analyzing Florida football and knowing all that goes into and I mean it's probably a totally different system, but all of the intricacies that go into being the quarterback at the University of Florida, you know, he would know as well as anybody. You know, right? he's
0: he was not from Gainesville like Anthony Richardson, but he's from a little bit more like in the Tallahassee area, but certainly from that northern part of the state, and has stayed very close to the program. Uh, his post-playing career, um, you know, I thought about this when Anthony Richardson was out on the practice field over the weekend, and you know when Richardson. Whatever, put on his uniform and got out on the Colts practice field. That was the first time that kid, and I say kid because he's still 20, that that kid has practiced football outside of Gainesville, Florida since he was 10 years old. Like, this is so foreign to Anthony Richardson. It's why he's, you know, going to move some of his family members and some of his. Team up here for lack of a better term. Um, so this whole experience in you know calling Indianapolis home, obviously it's different for a lot of recruits. But it's not like you have many guys transitioning to the NFL and they played their high school football and their college football in the same town. You don't have that, right? You mean you? you that, that's very very rare. I'm um, so looking forward to Danny Warfel joining us coming up at 8:30. Uh,
2: Did you see? And I assume. Maybe we'll talk about this at some point this morning, but to get a little further into our thoughts on it, but um, Bob Huggins getting a little hot water. Yeah, well,
0: I'd assume boiling, right? Yeah. I guess it depends on how West Virginia wants to react to it. Um, Yeah, Jake, I'd say my immediate thought was if that was you or I, we are to be fired, and I really feel like how the radio host reacted to Bob Huggins might merit a firing as well
2: yeah i don't think the latter is going to happen because
0: the radio hosts you don't think will be
2: fired i don't um do you think huggins gets fired i don't huggins would be an interesting one because i think you're right by the way um i could see huggins maybe being suspended for those that are unfamiliar bob huggins legendary coach over 800 wins university of west virginia coached at cincinnati And yesterday, I believe it was yesterday, like early, late morning maybe, or early afternoon. I think that's right. A radio show at WLW, one of the heritage radio stations in this country. I don't know the context under which they called Bob Huggins, but they were, a couple of the hosts were talking about Bob Huggins, and so they gave him a call. It sounded like it was kind of a surprise call. He got on, and they were joking around. Huggins was being very flippant. I mean, he was... He was jokingly pointing fun at the fact that he didn't like one of the hosts. Clearly, they had a history in a positive way. And at one point, he was asked about the transfer portal and whether or not West Virginia would take any players from Xavier, which is obviously a chief rival of Cincinnati where he had coached. And this is a Cincinnati radio station. And Huggins uh, made reference to the fact that when he was coaching in the crosstown rivalry between Cincinnati and Xavier, um, and and right now is the key time where people might have kids in the car and things like that, that I'll just say toys were thrown on the floor by the Xavier fans, um, of an anatomic part. How's that? And that he, he then said only Catholic homophobic slurs would be throwing those on the floor and perhaps they were jealous because they didn't have any of their own and the host then kinda added to it and said, oh, it must have been trans night. And they were laughing about it. Um, Huggins was, here's the thing, Kevin, where I think he's in really hot water. Number one, it was incredibly easy for him to say in a very flippant fashion. And I understand that you can, with that term, say that like you just use it as a euphemism for in a non discriminatory fashion, except for that he was clearly using it in a discriminatory fashion and went further as to not only use it in a discriminatory fashion, but to label the fact that the fact that people were Catholic increased the fact that he felt they should be discriminated against.
0: Yeah, he, he added to it. And he, did. he didn't it's not like he's retelling a story or he's whatever. Um and I think, you know, I again past precedent with this, I have no idea if you can compare other situations, but obviously in that market, you think of Tom Brenneman um, you know, from a professional athlete standpoint you know, At one point, kind of a hot bite, caught Justin Thomas on the golf course using that that word. I think Thomas is fine, if I'm not mistaken. Obviously, Tom Brennan was fired, or did he resign? One of the two. Um, no longer has that, that job. So, yeah, I just, I don't know. Maybe I'm unfairly stereotyping against West Virginia University, but um, I would be surprised if he got fired. But if that were any of us three, we certainly would be. Correct. Without question. And in my opinion, I thought the radio hosts um, crossed a line. Totally agree. I I could not agree more. I don't know if baiting's the right word, because again, I think Huggins took it to another level, but they clearly went down that path and then added to what was the phrase like? Isn't Bob Huggins the greatest as soon as he says that? Oh, yeah. I mean, they... I'm like, wait, did we just hear the same thing?
2: They also... I looked up the social media profile of the radio host who's been there a very long time and is... Very well established, um, but that—that that was kind of that is that was consistent with what you would expect, at least from a social media standpoint. From the host, I, what you can say on social media and what you can say on the air are two totally different things, though. Um, but it will be interesting to see what happens with that. You know, it's interesting when he
0: issued a statement. You'd expect, by the way, just for curious if there was any I think he was supposed to appear at a West Virginia alumni event last night the AD was there the AD did briefly meet the media just for about a minute didn't say anything earth-shattering but said that Bob had a conflict come up and that's why he couldn't be you know it puts
2: West Virginia in a difficult position because he's an alum of West Virginia it's beyond just he's a legendary coach I mean he's a product of West Virginia Um, and I went to the, West Virginia was playing Kansas this year at the game I went to at Allen Fieldhouse. This is neither here nor there, but it's interesting. I said to the person, the guy sitting next to me, I said, man, Bob Huggins looks like he could like, he probably should go in for a heart cath. And like literally a week later, it was Bill Self that did exactly that. And I mean, Huggins is a a guy between his age and his size that I, quite frankly, I looked at him, I mean, mid sixties. He's got to be, I think I saw 67. Let me see here what his age is. I'm always
0: curious how many windbreakers he has. Does he yeah. We're the same one.
2: Um, Bob Huggins, by the way, he is 69 years old. Bob Huggins, actually, at one time, I don't know how serious this went, he was explored as a potential Pacers coach. I mean, like 30 years ago. Huh. I think probably at the time that he was at Cincinnati. He can coach the game of basketball. There's no doubt about that.
0: Yeah. Uh, Speaking of the Pacers, um, there is, I guess, kind of an off-the-court story with the Pacers yesterday since the show has ended. And then the other story that I think we should get to, and I I know it can kind of be an annual story this time of year, Jake, but we did get official word yesterday from the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And unfortunately, we won't talk to Doug Bowles until Monday, Uh, but the race will be blacked out. Um, here locally. That includes Peacock, which was a difference from last year. There was a little bit of technicality that people that subscribed to Peacock kind of got around. Um, so this will be the first full blackout since pre-COVID. You know, we we, we had um, the, the ability to watch it locally in 2020 and 2021. And then again, last year, you could get around it with Peacock. Um, so we can chat about that. And then the Pacers make their move, Jake, with the Mad Ants franchise from Fort Wayne yeah, how about that? to Noblesville. Um, I've got two thoughts we can hit on. Uh, one, totally understand it from a Pacers standpoint. Like, It makes so much sense to want to have your AAA team um, based here, based closer to home, you know, from guys that are on the two-way contracts, from guys that are on injury assignments, you want everybody in your own building working with the 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 staff that you have. Um, I also am pretty bummed for Fort Wayne, and I know that Fort Wayne comparing it to Anderson is probably not like an ideal comparison, but I felt this way when Colts training camp left Anderson just how big of a bummer how big of a bummer that is for the city of Anderson. Yeah. And how much they put into that 3 weeks of training camp, what it means to have fans come up and see their city and how big of a driver it is from an economic standpoint when they are not getting, you know, any sort of other events on a consistent basis let alone for multiple weeks like that. And again, I understand why the Colts go go to Grand Park. Anybody go out there, you fully realize why these teams and organizations, particularly post-COVID, are doing that but it still is just a bummer to these other pockets of the state that could use much more of that than the city of noblesville
2: now fort wayne well now the mad ants that and J and i were talking about this yesterday you know will they change their name all the way to around i mean they won't be the mad ants i would assume because that's connected to fort wayne um but and this would begin in what season Uh, This is going to begin in the 2024 25 season. That's what I thought. Okay. So I think
0: they're going to play at Gamebridge all next season. Last year, Jake, a third of their games are at Gamebridge. So they already have, like, kind of gone down this path. Um, But I guess a couple of questions that I have. I was curious, you know, we have the new arena being built in Fishers that's going to host the Indy Fuel. Um, was told that there maybe is a little bit of at odds between the upper management of the fuel and the Pacers. That, you know, because I thought to myself, why don't the Mad Ants just play there? Obviously, Noblesville is trying to get their own, right. you know, draw to their city. They don't, you know, they, they want to, you know, whatever, be in competition with Fishers. The Fishers Arena is a little bit bigger as well. Um, and then from the nickname standpoint, where it sounds like a full rebrand here, where are you going?
2: JMV yesterday, I think it might have been a listener that brought this up when I was on with him, but I liked this. The Indy Slicks. It not only pays ah. tribute to Slick Leonard, but also, technically, if you want to keep the racing tradition in it as well, you know, a new set of tires are known oh, as look Slicks. Oh, that. Which we saw a lot last year at the Grand
0: Prix with all the rain. In the That's pit. right. Well, I, I thought more the Fighting Coverdales.
2: <laughs> if it's in Noblesville, that makes sense, right? Sure. Uh, here's another thing that kind of went off the radar yesterday. Is it under the radar, off the radar? I think it's off it's right? off the radar,
3: right? Yeah. When yeah, if it's under the radar, it'd be on the radar.
2: The radar under would pick that up. Correct, cuz it'd be low enough the radar would pick mm-hmm. it up, right? Um thank you, Mark. Also yesterday an appropriation, I don't know I'm I don't know enough about government to know if that means that this is a go. But an earmark for an 89 million dollar uh, basically line of credit for an amateur sports facility for the capital improvement board um, or excuse me for the indiana sports corps excuse me the indiana sports corps was suggesting an 89 million dollar line for an amateur sports facility on the IUPUI campus in downtown indianapolis the facility would function like the massive natatorium already on the campus the space could host events and could serve as practice facilities for larger competitions and as well a home basketball facility for IEPUI basketball. So what is going to be at the Coliseum then? So that would—that that is the big question. The Coliseum then, I believe, would become, and this is one thing that I, I do think the Coliseum can do well.
0: I feel like it's such a great venue for the fuel.
2: I would totally Which agree. again is, is going I, to Fishers. I know, I totally agree. I Obviously the Coliseum is going to be used for the state fair, for things there, but outside of that, I, I think the Coliseum the future for it Kevin might be I've seen a few concerts there and they were great now there are a ton of concert venues in Central Indiana but but fall you know when the weather's not great like winter concerts and you're not talking I mean you're, you're talking about smaller level concerts because it holds what 7500 right
0: and isn't there like a live nation you know controlling element <laughs> yeah, to a I lot mean, of this as well I know yeah. we're getting
2: a little bit deeper into it but but the Coliseum is a I do love the Coliseum, and they've put a lot of money and resource into that to try to get that thing going. You know, the NCAA tournament being there was was good, but you, you know, you didn't have fans, it's right? Like, what two days a year? for Horizon, the Horizon League, League tournament, yeah, yeah it's just mean, the semifinals it, right? and the finals. Yeah. So
0: that is a concern, certainly. Uh, Tyson points out the uh, W or the West Virginia AD. Uh, he's been on the job for six months.
2: <laughs> welcome to West Virginia. Yeah,
0: welcome to Morgantown. Uh, Isaiah says under the radar. Is it under the radar? See, that's... uh, He goes, I've heard military... Opposition military planes fly low so the radar can't see them. Ah, okay. That would make some sense.
2: But off the radar works too, doesn't it? Like it wasn't... So yes, there is an under the radar is a phrase also, right? Under the radar means not getting attention, unnoticed. He tried to stay under the radar as he went about his business. Now what about off the radar? Hang on. Off the radar would be your unseen... I, I would agree. To be off the radar means to no longer be noticed or important. I guess the degree to so which I'm you I'm off be- the radar, right? Oh. Mm-hmm. Someone hmm Some would say you're off the beaten path as well. Excuse me? Yeah. Okay.
3: Should be a fun which three also hours, hours tomorrow, radar. Mark. Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, again, Joel A. E. Erickson, 8. Danny Warfel, 8.30. Talks to Anthony Richardson. Elio Castronevis as he goes for number 5 coming up here in a few weeks at 9 o'clock. Kevin Aquari on another nice start to this Tuesday here in Indianapolis, 93 on a The Fan. A couple series last night and 3-1 leads exiting them for the Miami Heat as that series now shifts back to Madison Square Garden. The Heat as the 8th seed. They are up 3-1 over the New York Knicks. And then the nightcap, it was the Lakers getting the pivotal game four. So they maintain the home court advantage that they stole Back in game one, Lonnie Walker, the fourth, 15 points in the fourth quarter. Jake, Lonnie Walker had as many field goals in the fourth quarter as the entire Golden State Warriors team.
2: And how about the fact that I've always loved his hair. And D'Angelo Russell was 1-for-10 from the floor and had 4, and the Lakers still... I mean, not that he's like their main go-to guy, but that's a guy that's usually pretty pivotal for them, right? And and a pretty good supporting cast. Yeah,
0: Austin Reeves at 21. Again, he's been really, really good for them all playoff long. So both of those series, the road team, if you will, the Lakers and the Heat up 3-1. So those series will shift back to... Um, Madison Square Garden and Golden State, with uh, both of those teams needing to keep those series alive. And then tonight, no suspension for Nikola Jokic. I thought Matt Ishbia, by the way, had a great tweet, the Sun's owner. He was very adamant that, you know, no suspension. He, he actually said no fine either. The NBA did fine Jokic $25,000 uh, for his um, push ish, if you want to call it that, um, of the Sun's owner. Uh, so the both the series tonight. Two two, basically best of three series the rest of the way. It'll be the Nuggets hosting the Suns, and it'll be the Celtics
2: hosting the 76 Sixers. Uh, Major League Baseball yesterday: Cardinals over the Cubs, three one. Excuse me, boo. That was a. Did you realize how smart that win was for the Cardinals?
0: All it takes is one for the
2: Cardinals. Oh, yeah. Uh, Reds were off yesterday. Mm-hmm. No losses, is how I, I, think I think they've been like off all season. Like to, <laughs> they have like been off all of season. That. <laughs> Uh, Brewers over the Dodgers 9-3 it was the Yanks over the Athletics 7-2 Angels over the Astros 6-4 and cute fella on the short end against the Tampa Bay Rays 3 nothing. unfortunately I don't see did your Athletics play Mark?
0: Yeah they uh, lost They're not mine I, I, I'm
2: Kevin but they <laughs> lost or Kevin sorry Yeah, 7-2 to the Yankees sorry about that Don't associate right. me with the Athletics Was right that now.
0: salt and wounds? Or did you do that on purpose? No
2: I'm just saying
0: um, yeah. Some news over at IMS yesterday on the blackout what that means it's the first time In four years, it'll be a full, full blackout. We'll talk more about that on the other side. And get in the Colts conversation coming up in the 8 o'clock hour with Joel A. Erickson, Danny Warfel at 8.30, and Elio Castronevis at 9. Again, a gorgeous start to this Tuesday here in Indianapolis. Kevin Acquire right here on 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. A lot of Colts conversation coming up. Uh, Danny Warfel going to join us less than an hour, former Heisman Trophy winner at Florida Certainly has great perspective on what Anthony Richardson has been going through. So we'll, we'll chat with him coming up here in a bit. Again, Elio Castroneves at 9 o'clock. Jake, big announcement from IMS yesterday. And I believe the Indy Star had this Nathan Brown over there in that uh, we are back on for a full blackout of the race. That has not been the case here in the past few years. Uh, obviously, you had the COVID race in August in 2020. Um, you still allowed viewing in 2021 from a TV standpoint here locally with COVID kind of lingering and, and an abbreviated crowd. And then last year it was more of a technicality with Peacock, the, um, streaming service for NBC that, uh, you were allowed to watch it. That will no longer be the case this year. Um, full transparency as people that work for the radio station that airs the race, obviously this is good news. Great news. Um, Having said that, I, I I just don't understand the reasoning behind the blackout to the degree that it continues to be there in 2023, especially for a sport that is trying to draw viewers, and especially in the market that you would think would have the most potential fans, given the history and the lineage of what racing means to this market. Uh, to me, it's like blacking out the Kentucky Derby in Louisville. And you don't see that. And what did you see with the Derby? The biggest audience a sporting event has had since the Super Bowl. Um, So I am a bit confused that this continues to be the path that they choose to go down, even though it clearly benefits us.
2: Yeah, I think... And you. And admittedly, Kevin, you are correct on the disclaimer. I mean, I work on the radio network as one of the people that broadcasts the race that airs on the station that I work for. So certainly it would be in my best interest, right, for people to listen to it on the radio. Having said that, you know, I, I think for it's a unique situation because of the fact that for so long, listening to the race on the radio, I think, became for a lot of people just part of the tradition of the race because it was just an understood for so long. And so people that didn't go to the race became accustomed to going to the lake I, um grilling out camping out listening to the race quite frankly the number probably the third most common thing people tell me they do cleaning out their garage
0: yeah my dad would do that on like an annual basis to the race like. yeah
2: um but i do understand that it's a different era right i mean we are in a different era in terms of multimedia consumption i think the blackout just became i'm not saying an accepted but like a, a part of a normalcy for people in this market Then when COVID happened, then you had the situation of, okay, we can't even have fans there, so we have to air it. So the blackout becomes lifted for that. Then in year two, you're not allowing full attendance, so you kind of have to do it again. And then in the imperfect storm in year three, to your point, you're starting to shift television viewing now onto the online streaming platform. And as a result of that, You now have the aspect of, okay, you can black it out on television, but people can just find it online. And they didn't have a means to block that from happening. They have figured out, technologically speaking, how to now do that again within the market so that if you live in a certain area, you cannot stream the race either. I don't believe they had that technology a year ago. So that's part of why this now is coming back into play. As for the reasoning behind it, I don't know that answer. I don't want to speak for the Speedway. I don't know that answer. My assumption would be because they believe that it still would... You know, the days of when I was a kid, the 80s and the 90s, there was always the assumption, Kevin, when it came to the Indianapolis 500, people would say when it came to the indianapolis 500 mile race it was always oh it's so it sells out the next day like after the day after the race it's already sold out for the next year and it was just an understood that you could not get tickets to it um and and the reason and i think many people believed that the reason people were buying those tickets with such immediacy was because they knew they couldn't watch on t- to see it they had to be there in person those days probably are gone i i mean, It does not sell out per se anymore. Now, the prime tickets do, but there are still ways to get into the race if you so choose. And so my my guess would be that they are saying we are not going to air it unless it absolutely sells out. I think for the 100th, for example, they aired it because it was sold out. There was no way you could get in. I do understand that I'll take my dad as an example, Kevin. My dad, if he wanted to go to the, my dad is a is a very able you, you know, mobile. I'm very fortunate. Mm-hmm. Man, but he's a man in his 80s who the mobility and the walking would be probably too arduous for him in terms of the distance. It is a huge venture to go to the Indianapolis 500 mile race. It's a great venture and I love every minute of it, but for people that are disabled or elderly, it would be a challenge. Now, when they did the renovations to the Speedway, they did upgrade and make more accessible their ADA standards under the American Disabilities Act that a lot of people don't realize, Kevin, when they first built the Speedway in 1911, the American Disabilities Act did not yet have in the provisions of the things that needed to be put in in terms of wheelchair accessibility, handicapped accessibility, and then it was basically grandfathered because of that. And so it had not been renovated to those standards until they did the 100-year renovations. And they did do those modifications to obviously accommodate for, those, for, for people that are disabled. All of that to be said, there are still a percentage of people that for a number of different reasons simply cannot go to the race. And it is a shame they cannot watch it. As for the specific reasoning or motivation, I, I can't speak to that, quite frankly.
0: Yeah, and you certainly bring up an, an age group with your father that that's the first people that I think about. Just people that are not able to attend a sporting event that is very arduous on your body in, in, in getting to and from a seat. Uh, there are other people that just don't like big crowds. I mean, Drake, correct me if I'm wrong. You, you're not a huge fan of of, of, of huge crowds. Correct. Uh, I mean, and for anyone that uh,
2: sat in the grandstand. I love that crowd, but yes.
0: Right, but it was sat in the grandstands. Uh you better get pretty, you know, close to your neighbors there. I think another age group, and this is me probably being a hair selfish with it, but I think you have a lot of young parents, Jake, that are fighting the can I go to the race? Can I take my kids to the race? You know, can you get you know, babysitting for the day. I mean, that's a six, eight, ten-hour day, depending on how you want to do it. That's a big ordeal in trying to get childcare on a holiday Sunday where, you know, if you are reliant on college-age kids, they might be going to the race, or they might be at a friend's lake house enjoying a beautiful weekend. I mean, they might be doing
3: other things with young kids too if it's hot or something they're in the sun for hours and hours then you got got to start worrying about that as well.
0: Yeah, so again bringing them to the race is not mm-hmm. just something that oh yeah, that's a no-brainer. Uh, you know, it's like bringing them to the children's museum or bringing them to the zoo. It's a totally different experience. So, I think whether you go with the older demographic or the younger demographic, you have questions about both of that and you know, when I reach a point, luckily my my parents are going to watch our kids on on race day. I'm very fortunate for that. You might not have your parents living in this market to be able to to do that. And I know there's going to come a point in time where either my parents are no longer able to to do that, or there's just too many grandkids to try and do that. And so then I'm probably going to have to make a decision: should should I stay at home? Should Maddie stay at home? Do we both stay at home? And what a great opportunity would that be for my currently two-year age gap, let's just say my eight-year-old daughter and six-year-old son to sit at home and be able to watch that, and then they see the pre-race, they see the cars, and they hear the cars. It's not just radio, which obviously you guys paint an incredible picture, and I love it each year sitting there listening to it wouldn't that be the perfect way to try and reach the next age group of fans? Something that F1 is doing an unbelievable job of right now, and in your market where the race is located, you're missing out on that. Kids in Louisville watching the Derby. Kids in Indianapolis are not watching the Indianapolis 500. The
2: two things that come into play there, I believe, I don't know this, but but I kind of assume this. Number one, perhaps they have looked at the Brickyard 400. I'm not saying that this is... Uh, accurate but perhaps they've looked at the Brickyard 400 and said you know the the interest level and the attendance of that dropped precipitously once it started airing live I'm not saying that there's a correlation between the two the other thing that could come into play in terms of just the overall thought process of it and this is something that I think is antiquated I would understand if, the peop- if there are people at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway that say, we don't need to air it live on television to have our audience introduced to racing because the coverage of it and the imagery of the Indianapolis 500 is so ubiquitous within Indianapolis television that if you live here, you know what the cars look like going fast. You know what the race looks like on television because all of the TV stations are covering it. They're all doing, you know, the new news and the and 6 o'clock news and the 11 o'clock news and the reality is, Kevin, that's an antiquated school of thought because a lot of these TV stations aren't even doing sports anymore. Well, You just don't see it like you used to.
0: Remember the pop quiz we had last week? Correct. Asking a diehard sports fan to name two of the four four four-time winners. We did not sniff one of the four four four-time winners. A 42-year-old. A couple of numbers and again, Nathan Brown had this in the Star and I know we're getting a lot of calls on this. Hopefully we can get back to this topic Um, here either later today, certainly late in the week, uh, Jake 325,000. That was the number, um, that the star had in there as the attendance for last year. I don't think there's a huge chunk of that, that literally go to the race and would sit there and say to themselves, Oh, I'll just watch it at home next year. I think you go to the race for much more than the viewing experience of the race. If you're in turn three, you're so reliant on you guys from a radio standpoint, on the TV boards, you know, whoever. It's not like you're going there because you feel like, uh, you know, whatever. You're going to see the entire field at an NFL game or the entire court at an NBA game. Um, I I don't think that percentage would be very high of the 325,000 that would decide to sit at home if you did air it locally, I think you could personally charge some sort of pay-per-view uh, and you would
2: get people. That would seemingly be pretty a pretty good solution, right? That
0: would do that as well. Uh, the other number, 12,000, Jake, that was the amount Doug Bowles mentioned to the star as unsold grandstand numbers from last year. I believe he told us yesterday that they are a little bit ahead of pace from that. So you're looking at about whatever, let's say 10,000 unsold grandstand tickets you know, when you talk about 10,000 out of 325, that's a really small percentage.
2: Right. So, No, I, for sure.
0: And I wish, you know, we, we probably should ask Doug more about it yesterday. But, I, did, I didn't realize this announcement would happen this early. But do they the feel
2: Monday like night. if they didn't black it out, that number would be lower?
0: Of the 325,000, my immediate percentage thought of how many of those people would stay at home if the race was viewed locally, I, I I'm guessing here, obviously, I would say 5%, maybe 10%. I mean, do you, do you think that's a fair guess, or do you think it'd be a lot I, I think
2: higher? it's a fair guess, yeah. You're still talking 30,000 people. So at 100 bucks a ticket, well, probably not that much. On average of 50 bucks a ticket, that's a lot of money.
0: Okay, devil's advocate. Uh, Charge 5 bucks on the pay-per-view, and then think about how many of those people potentially have younger kids. Right. And at some I, point, I, I, I they it. are coming to the race right. on a free ticket. I, I get basis. it. Totally get it. Uh, we can get more of this conversation coming up here in a bit. So Joel A. Erickson up next. Again, Danny 8 830 Elio Castroneves at 9. Well, that conversation certainly sparked the phone lines. We'll get back into a little bit more IMS blackout talk a little bit later in the show and I'm sure later this week as well. Um, But some Colts conversation now. Joel A. Erickson from the Star joins us. Uh, Certainly go over a lot of things rookie minicamp related, but later this week the NFL schedule will be released. That's Thursday night, 8 o'clock. Joel, you think we could get an amendment on that schedule if Daniel Snyder still owned the Commanders for Colts and Commanders on it?
4: <laughs> yeah, no kidding, no kidding. That's turned into in just a, a really short time. That's turned into a pretty, pretty nice little uh, little rivalry the Colts and the Commanders have going on. Yeah. Um,
0: Talk about prime time right there, yeah.
4: You, you feel like? It, how do you feel if you're the new owners? If you're Josh Harris, if you're just like, wait, someone's going to try to take my draft pick? <laughs> what did, what happened? I don't get a draft pick the first year.
0: And um, so do you, do you think that's Ursay's goal here? I mean, he, he seems relatively fired up about the Andrew Luck potential tampering the Commanders did or have done. Like, is that the end goal? It's not like the Colts would necessarily benefit. It's more of a, hey, I'm telling on you, and I want the public to know.
4: Well, it, it's, it's a good question. It's interesting to think about, like, what um, – what happens if, if this goes all the way there, the, the Dolphins gave up quite a lot for tampering with Tom Brady and Sean Payton. Um, it was a first round pick this year, a third round pick next year. Their owner got suspended and fined. So there was a lot of stuff there. Uh, there's also, I didn't know this was a thing until, uh, the draft really, but the Eagles got a better pick, better draft pick in a trade out of, out of, uh, Arizona tampering with Jonathan Gannon. Um, so I don't know if that's, you know, maybe... Hmm. A, so the Colts a could benefit. Too. Yeah, I, 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 I did, like I said, I didn't know that was a thing until the draft. So I didn't know you could uh, almost settle your differences uh, in, a, in a tampering case like that. Um, this one seems a little more serious than that. But, yeah, Ursae Ursa being very clear, you know, I want to make sure you understand that Andrew Luck is still under contract with the Colts, regardless of whether or not he's
2: played for us uh, since 2019. Joel, here's what's confusing to me, and I mentioned this yesterday, so maybe you can shed light on it, or maybe since I was confused by it, more has come out to clarify it. Andrew Luck, when he retired, had, what, three years left on his contract, correct? Correct. Mm-hmm. So my understanding was, so so to me, it has to be one of two things. Either that contractual obligation expires After a three-year period of the retirement, which at this point that expiration date would have passed, or or he has three years of contractual obligation to the Colts to honor upon the time that he returns to the NFL, which would mean the second one, right? Which would mean that at this time he is not under contract. The contract is is on pause. In other words, is he under? Is he there? ownership now forever is it do they own him forever until in they, case he wants to come back at the age of 57 yes they have his rights in perpetuity because the
4: contract the, the, the contract pausing means that they have they they have those rights uh and yes if, if he wanted to come back at the age of 57 the and, and play for a different team that team
2: would have to trade for him yeah see that's that's the part to me so that that clarifies it but then the other report that i saw initially and I don't recall where and I apologize for that Joel but said that they had inquired to the Colts about Andrew Luck not to Andrew Luck directly do we know factually I I would assume Jim I mean Jim Mersey. I trust him by his word here right but did they inquire to the Colts or did they inquire to a representative of Andrew Luck without the Colts permission clearly it must have been the latter right the the Colts
4: the Colts my understanding is that the Colts want to investigate it um, in order to find out if the second thing happened, um, and I, I don't know if I've seen hard reporting on on whether or not they asked the Colts at all. Um, obviously, Ursay reacted in a way that would make you think no, um, but the the tampering rules are pretty the tampering rules are pretty uh, loose in terms of who is an associate of yours. Uh, which I guess makes sense because if, if it was just you and your agent or you and your family and your agent, then obviously there'd be really easy ways around that for a lot of guys. Um, but, and, and there's probably some element of this where there's, there's some, some of this that goes on, you know, in in, at the combine in Indianapolis and that kind of thing. But it doesn't, it doesn't come out publicly that it happened beforehand. Uh, the way that this report did, um, and it, it'll be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see what comes out of it because the NFL, like I said, with, with Miami, they didn't mess around with it, that tampering. Um, they they came down pretty hard on the Dolphins.
0: I, I don't really want to stay on the topic much longer, but I will just add: Andrew Luck's agent was his uncle, Will Wilson, and so it's not like we're talking about some mega CAA agent that would be at the combine, you know, whatever, representing ten different clients. And lo and behold, Andrew Luck just comes up in conversation. Hell, I don't even think doesn't Will Wilson like work in soccer now, Joel?
4: Yes, he has moved on. He's not even in the NFLPA agent directory anymore.
0: Yeah. Um, all right, R- rookie minicamp from over the weekend. Joel A. Erickson was out there from the Indianapolis Star. Um, again, it is rookie minicamp. Um, so let me preface by that. I will offer a couple of Anthony Richardson observations. You can either play off them or offer your own. Um, I did find it interesting just him, like giving an example of, Hey, at Florida, it was a three-step drop out of the shotgun in the NFL. It's a five-step drop. Um, I think he used the phrase, you know, um, speed up my, my footwork as something that he needs to work on. And Joel, you know, I'm not sure I've ever seen a quarterback in between reps, mimic his throwing motion, take mental reps, however you want to describe it, more than him. I mean, literally after every rep, I'm thinking, you just threw a perfect ball, and there he is. You know, as the tryout guys are going through their drills or their reps, there he is mimicking the drops and the throwing motion. So those were a couple of Richardson observations on my end.
4: Yeah, you know, um, it reminded me actually of – and. Just to preface this, this specific thing that Kevin's talking about reminded me of Drew Brees. Uh, Brees did that, um, especially when he was hurt. He would go through it. Now, I I covered him later in his career when he was probably trying to take rotations off of his shoulder a little bit more. I don't remember for sure if he actually did the throwing, but he would do this thing where he would make a throw even in routes on air, and then he would carry through um, the rest of his reads on, on whatever play or whatever route they had run. So he would like shift his feet and, and keep himself in motion after he would made the throw and, and look at, four, you know, three or four of the receivers. It kind of reminded me of that, him doing that. Um, the other thing I noticed was that in this, it happened only a couple of times. I'm not usually a, a dive deep into the body language person, but it seemed pretty clear that there were a couple of times that Richardson just didn't like his throw uh, and and kind of reacted visibly to that. Um and and at least on one of them, what was an eleven on eleven completion that he, he kind of was like, he kind of made a a, a head motion like ah, I kind of wanted that that one to be a different spot, which is is interesting. It kind of speaks to a um kind of a perfectionist streak with how he's throwing this ball and, and trying to get better at it. I thought I thought it's hard to know. It's it, it's the first time we're watching him, but it was something that. Came up a couple of times over two days.
2: I guess a question for either one of you guys. Joel A. Erickson is our guest. He's on the Payless Cigars Hotline. Of course, you can read his work covering the Colts with the Indianapolis Star. A a question for either one of you guys um, would be this for me, and that is, obviously we're talking about like one grain of sand here in the overall totality of what we're going to see from Anthony Richardson. That said, based on precedent, whether it be Andrew Luck or I guess that was really the last time that we had a true rookie quarterback that you're handing the keys over to from the get-go, how much can this that grain of sand really tell us how much does it represent the reality of what they're going to see in actual camp and full-on? In other words, is there anything that we can actually learn other than body language from what we've seen so far?
4: I, I don't really think so I mean it's it, you, you got to think about like it's it's a rookie mini camp there's a there's a handful of guys who are with the Colts sometimes there. you know Marshall Dabo was playing there this this week um, the the international transfer player um, but the the guys on the field it's it's 12 it was 12 draft picks it's 15 undrafted free agents and I believe it was 29 tryout guys it, it's all rookies. it's guys who are running very basic stuff Um you're just getting, giving them an introduction to the playbook and what they're going to have to do uh, with the Colts. It, it's not a competitive situation like you're going to see in training camp. So in terms of the big picture and what, what Anthony Richardson is going to be, I wouldn't say that there's anything that you can really take away from the rookie minicamp. I, I would say take more than anything. You're just watching him to go, okay, what, what are some pieces that I'm going to look for moving forward? What are some things that I'm interested in? In terms of his personality and how he's going to quarterback a team and react to stuff, um, but even that, even that is is something that you go, okay, I've seen this now, and now I, I kind of just put that as a note and, and see if I see it again, um, or at least that's kind of how I treated it.
0: And it's Joel A. Erickson from the Indianapolis Star. He's with us here on the Payless Lickers Hotline. Joel, the the month of May and even June, Chris Bauer has used those months to find kind of a veteran free agent signing. You know, typically you see that maybe right before an OTA or a mini camp. And then that guy could, you know, potentially turn into a somewhat important piece for you. If I had a look on the roster right now, I'd probably put three positions above the rest. I put right guard, I put corner, and I put safety as like three that I could see them add to. Especially the, the the first two of right guard and corner. But I'm curious how you would react to this thought. Part of me is like they've already traded away Stephon Gilmore. They've made some big young investments at cornerback. I tend to think if the position does not directly support Anthony Richardson and him playing as a rookie, I'd probably opt for a youth movement there in 2023. There's going to be growing pains, but again, I don't think the win loss is the biggest deal this season now at right guard, that directly impacts Richardson, so I'd probably look into a veteran there. but at corner and safety, I say, okay, I'm content playing the youth. thoughts on that
4: I I think that that's where they're headed. Um, that seems to be where they're headed to me um, in terms of in terms of being comfortable playing uh, young guys in the secondary. Uh, I'm I'm with you on right guard, and then the other position that I think is interesting is swing tackle. You know, they drafted Blake Blake Freeland to be the swing tackle, but he's a rookie and a fourth round pick. And you know, if if the goal is protecting Richardson and giving him the best chance, and you want to play him early, um, you know, you, you got. I think you got to kind of. Give yourself a little leeway in case it takes Freeland a little while to get accustomed to the NFL. That swing tackle job, playing left side, right side, uh, I know you've got experience at both spots, but that's, that's generally tough for a rookie. You normally want somebody a little bit older doing that. So I think the offensive line is the place that I would be focusing on veterans because of what you're saying. I think most of what they've done this offseason suggests that they're comfortable Seeing what they have in the roster, as as they see what they have in Anthony Richardson and where he is, before you know making bigger moves.
2: Joel, was there a particular position that during the draft y- your your eyebrow kind of raised because you thought to yourself they might be seeing vulnerability at a veteran that I had not anticipated?
4: I don't know their their picks kind of. Especially the first five to six just kind of kicked off need after need after need. Um, so I don't know if there was anybody that I didn't necessarily expect. Um, yeah, I, I think I think maybe more than ever this draft felt like a needs based draft. And I saw I, I saw Peter King, who's covered the NFL a long time in his column after the draft, said um, best player available is a myth. And I, I kind of chuckled at that because. You know, especially the last several drafts, Ballard has clicked off needs with at least the first couple of picks. Now, sometimes there's been a, a curveball in there with a guy, you know, like a Jonathan Taylor or a Bobby Okereke, who is would have been who is a need a year out, like the, the player at their position was headed into the last year of their rookie deal. Um, but for the most part, they've clicked off needs, and, and what King said just kind of made me chuckle because it does it does seem to be the way it works is that teams do click off their needs. Um, the, the the idea of actually taking the best player available regardless of position does not seem to play out.
2: Well, the funny thing is, I, I can understand best player available like when you're drafting 10th. It's pretty clear who that might be, or you have two or three names right towards the top, and you know you're going to get a really good player. Does best player available really become applicable when you're drafting 174th? You know what I mean? Like, is there really that big right. a difference between 174 and 175? We're like, oh, gosh, we swung and missed there. I mean... At some point, you've got to start patching holes, right?
4: Yeah, and I think, you know, you always hear general managers say, um, you know, we got to that point in the draft. It is usually with the first two days of picks. We got to that point in the draft, there was one guy standing above the rest to just take him. Um, but I think one of the hard things is, especially that late round, I don't know that we have as much insight into what the board looks like at that time, you know, how what the clouds look like in terms of player um and or, or if in some in some cases, you know, uh, you're you're factoring in, can I get this person as an undrafted free agent? You know, Chris Ballard said, point blank, uh, that the reason they took Jake Witt with their last pick was he didn't he thought there would be a lot of competition as in the undrafted free agent class, and he wanted to get around that. And I I know there's been other stories like that where teams have been in, you know, they they start calling before the end of the drafts, the guys they think won't get picked, and say, hey you know, we're we're interested in you, we want to sign you. And I've heard of, like, you know, them being like, well, we're not sure. The agent's like, we're not sure. We're probably going somewhere else. And the team's like, okay, well, I have one more pick left. I'm just going to take you. And we'll worry about getting the other player that we we're going to take instead. So some of that comes into play later in the draft, too. And, and we're really just going off of they protect these draft rooms. So they guard these draft rooms so closely that we're really just going off of what they tell us in terms of a guy is standing up a t- on the top of the board above everybody else.
0: Joel, give us a non-Anthony Richardson, Juju Brents, Josh Downs draft pick, undrafted story that you are very interested in watching play out over the next few months.
4: I, I think Emilakior is interesting. You know, it's it, he's he's got him. He it, he said his he's his agent told him that he thought a medical issue was why he fell. Uh, his agent is very experienced. His agent is is not somebody who's coming to this. Um, you know, new or lightly, so I, I would think he's probably got pretty good intel on that. But this is a guy who was all SEC at Alabama and started forty games, uh, and who knows, you know what what the evaluation on that knee is? Is it, you know, or how like is it that there's there's a significant amount of years left in it? Is it that they're not sure? Like it as somebody who played a lot, you know, that's a, that's something I want to see is. He, in theory, he should be ready to kind of just click in and get going uh, on the interior of the offensive line, where there's there's definite opportunity, um, just because of you know where he played and the games he played against other against really good teams and really good competition. You know, that's a guy that I think most people would have thought, okay, you got a LSEC player at Alabama on the offensive line, that guy's going to get picked. Well, that that makes me wonder, you know, if. If the big question is the knee, is his level of play going to put him um, maybe in competition for higher stuff than a normal undrafted free agent?
2: Joel, be honest. Your plan's for Thursday. You having a party for the schedule release? <laughs> you having the kids over for like a gender reveal type thing? He's probably booking checking, a lot of hotel rooms, aren't checking you? Checking your bracket to find out whether or not you won Ursay's million. What do you got planned?
4: K- KB's KB's right. The first thing the first thing I do after we put up whatever uh, is going to go on the website is I immediately start looking for ho- like for the for hotel rooms uh, in whatever in whatever city we're we're supposed to be headed to. And what I'll end up doing is you know, what I'll end up doing is going back during the season and like the same week of I'll, I'll see if there's something that came down in price because that does happen sometimes. And I usually try to get something on the board at least at least to start off and figure it out. And then the other thing I do, this is the second thing I do, and I know um, uh, Chris Woodlick and ben, uh, Brett Bensley over at Fox 59 and CBS 4 do the same thing, is those those first September road games, I immediately check the Major League Baseball schedule to see if I can knock off a park I haven't <laughs> oh, yeah.
2: been to yet. Okay, so wait a minute. So with that, because I've done the same thing for IndyCar for years, um, mm-hmm. best park you've been to, not, I mean, uh, listen, not Fenway, Yankee, Wrigley. I mean, I get it, but... Uh, surprisingly, best park you've been to, and the one where you're like, "This place is a dump."
4: <laughs> okay, so uh, I don't know that this is a surprise. I think a lot of people say this one. I've actually, I've, I've hit 19 uh, parks, but the problem is, nice. I, I haven't, I haven't hit a lot of the famous ones. So I would say the one that's that's, it's not necessarily. It's. I think the only reason that PNC Park in Pittsburgh is not more famous is because the Pirates have been so bad since it was built. Because it's right there on the river. Like, when I went, we could take – we were staying downtown. We just walked across a bridge, and we, like, got – my kids got to be on a a riverboat, and they'd, like, deposit you at the stadium. The sun comes down on it great. It's just an unbelievable, like, viewing experience as a park. PNC is definitely the best one. And then the worst one is – no apologies to Rick Venturi, who's a huge Rays fan – but the TROP is terrible. The trough reminds me of going to the Metrodome when I was a kid. So
2: I went to the Metrodome, yeah.
4: Yeah, it feels like you're watching baseball in somebody's basement.
2: So
0: road schedule this year uh, of interest. You've got potentially an Orioles game, a Braves game. Boy, they might pay you in September to come to a Reds game. Uh, <laughs> Astros, Red Sox. Uh, what of those interest you? Uh. So I've been to
4: Astros, I've been to Braves. New, um,
0: n- new Braves, or I guess new-ish at this point?
4: Not New Braves, and I'd be very oh. interested in New Braves. I'd be very interested in the New Braves. I, I went when I was covering Auburn, so before that one was built. New Braves I'd be interested in. I'm supposed to hit a family vacation workout. I'm supposed to hit Camden this summer, so I think Fenway would go to the top of the list. But then New Braves is a good one, KB, because I have not seen that one. Um, in terms of in terms of uh, a park to go see it just like just like i haven't been to target field at the twin stadium which is supposed to be gorgeous in minneapolis and i grew up going to twins games because they were close but it was always in the metrodome it was watching it in minnesota's basement
2: now have you been to detroit i have not nope it's nice uh, it's a nice park uh, have you been to, I'll tell you, a very underrated park, and you're going to laugh when I say it because it's not new. It's been renovated, but it's not new. But I found it very nice. Angels. You been to the Angels? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
4: So when I covered the Saints, they did a uh, a joint practice out there, and I was out there for four, uh, four days or five days or something like that, and the Angels were in town on the front end, and the Dodgers were in town on the back end. I knocked off both of them. But I do think that the Angels Park is – It looks good. I I like the stuff in left center field. Um,
2: Here's the other thing, Joel. This is old guy here, right? They did something. I don't know what it is. It's hard to explain. But the concourses, instead of like hard cement, it's kind of like that rubbery surface that you play like basketball on in churches. So yeah. it's super yeah. soft to walk around. I know that sounds weird, but it's like it literally, it's like they thought about like the retirees of Southern California. I don't know, but I don't know. I <laughs> thought it was a nice park. Dodger Stadium's great too. If you've never been to Dodger, you got to go to Dodger. Now,
4: my favorite thing about going to Dodger was I sat. I was with a buddy, and we sat in third row, like, next to the real Dodger fans, and as somebody who watches a lot of baseball and knows, you know, the Brewers roster pretty well, I was flabbergasted at how well some of these guys know baseball. Like, the Cardinals are bringing in a reliever, and, like, the guy next to me is talking to his friend, and he's going, ah, this isn't great. Our guy's 0 for 4 against this guy lifetime. How,
2: How do you know that? Right, right. (laughs) <laughs> well, especially considering you know, you're know you talking about the Cardinals, and they are the ones with the smartest fans in baseball. Just ask them. Right?
3: Joel, <laughs> uh, nice Joel
2: as a Brewers
0: day. fan, laughs very hard That's right. at that comment there. Uh, Joel, great stuff uh, with Rookie Minicamp Weekend. I know it's been a busy couple of weeks for you, so appreciate you hopping on a few times with us. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Always like coming on with you guys. That's Joel A. Erickson right there on the Payless Liquors hotline. Yeah, so from a road venue standpoint for the Colts coming up Thursday night, you know they're at Carolina, they're at Atlanta, they're at Baltimore, they're at New England. I, I don't know. The schedule doesn't really jump off the page at I me. Mean, I guess, could they play international? Are we going to find that out? Aren't they doing the international announcements a little bit earlier?
2: Where are the international games this
0: year? I mean obviously London, right? I think we have two in Germany, right? Yeah. And then are we back to the annual Mexico City game?
3: Yeah, that'll probably be 49ers or Cardinals again.
0: Yeah, I mean I I'd, uh, I think the Colts are due for an international game somewhat soon, but again, do you want to wait till maybe year 2 of an Anthony Richardson career before you put them overseas? Uh, didn't we have like 15 straight games at one point where we didn't have I, the, a game above 500? The fans the overseas teams? are
2: used to seeing the Jaguars for the last seven years. Anything's an upgrade, right? Although the Jaguars are decent now, but I'm saying not when they were going over there.
0: Uh, Danny Warfel in five minutes. Let's hit a morning check down.
2: Uh, three is the magic number. That goes beyond just Schoolhouse Rock. Three to one. The series now, both of them in the NBA that were played last night. Heat with a 3-1 advantage over the next 109-101 the win last night. Lakers now three games to one over the Golden State Warriors, 104-101 to 101 was the final. So both of those series now go into game number five. Three also a key number for the St. Louis Cardinals. They scored that against the Cubs last night. They win 3-1. to one. The Brewers scored three times more runs than the Dodgers, 9-3. And the, let's see if I'm looking for thre- any other threes. Yep, Rays beat the cute fella 3 nothing last night Major League Baseball. They said quick morning check down. Anything you want to add, Kev?
0: I, does that cover it all? I think so. No Nikola Jokic su- suspension? twenty five grand. Correct. He, he was not suspended. Find. yes. So yeah. he will play tonight in Game 5. All right, Danny Werfel next to talk Anthony Richardson. It is
2: 828, as a matter of fact, here in Indianapolis. Good morning to you on a really good-looking Tuesday. My name is Jake Query. Kevin Bowen here as well, along with Mark Dykton. This is Kevin and Query on 93.5107.5 The Fan. Continuing our discussion about the Indianapolis Colts and their what we hope to be promising young quarterback Anthony Richardson joining us now on the Pay Less Liquors Hotline when it comes to Florida football and it comes to quarterbacking the Florida Gators and making that transition into the NFL few would know it better than a guy that won a Heisman Trophy down in Gainesville Danny Warfel who joins us on the program this morning Danny first off good morning to you we are very appreciative of your time this morning oh great great to be with you thanks for having me hey I want to begin with this you obviously have seen Um, a lot of different quarterbacks that have quarterbacked at Florida, you know, and watching them since your time playing there. So for beginning sake, before we get into the nuances of Anthony Richardson himself, how detailed was the Florida offense that he would have been running and how much does that just in terms of schematics translate into the NFL? Well,
5: my understanding, uh, you know, I'm not uh, living on ground level and coaching and, and, and involved in all the details of uh, the different offenses that are happening. But my understanding is that Billy Napier's offense is a very uh, head heavy offense for a quarterback that there's several other offenses that are sort of built to be really simple, almost like hacks for quarterbacks just to be successful, but not necessarily knowing the, the nuances, uh, the theory, what's going on, what's happening. And so I think, I think that's a really good uh, situation for the Colts to have a quarterback that was playing in an offense where he was processing and thinking about uh, a lot of things at a deeper level than perhaps uh, different offenses uh, throughout the country and a different, at Florida. So I think that, that bodes well for him. He, he had a lot to process uh, pre-snap, a lot of formations, a lot of motions, a lot of verbiage, um, a lot of audible. You know, so I think that was a, a great tutorial for him.
0: Danny, uh, so you had a quote a couple weeks back, and Danny Werfel's with us. 1996 Heisman Trophy winner, of course, at Florida. He's chatting some Anthony Richardson with us right now. He had a quote a few weeks ago about just kind of the the, the possibility, and, and there's so much to work with, with Richardson. Can you recall seeing a quarterback with so much inexperience, yet so much kind of molding of clay that's possible? Enter the draft? Well,
5: yeah, well, if you just look at his combine numbers, the answer is no, because nobody has has done uh, put up the numbers he did on on all the physical skill tests that they have. So I think he's a very very unique player. I mean, he he 10, 15, 20 years ago he have been an oversized linebacker. Like he's just he's a phenomenal specimen as an athlete, uh, and yet he's he's a very dedicated and he is a quarterback. I mean, he's really developed those skills, the the, the mental uh, the, the Arm, arm talent, um, put in a lot of work. And so, yeah, I think he's he's one of the most gifted, if not the gifted, uh, athletes uh, that can play quarterback and is a quarterback. And I think, you know, from what I understand, you know, the coordinator that you have there is a very creative person. And, and that's I think that bodes really well.
0: Yeah, something that I kind of observed just purely from whatever, talking with him in a couple of press conferences, he strikes me as an individual that has this balance of, like, extreme confidence but yet fully understands he needs you know a lot of work particularly from an accuracy standpoint to get to the level that he thinks is attainable as one of the best players ever in the NFL I don't know how much interaction you've had with him but just personality wise what have you seen or what have you heard
5: he's a great young man I've got a chance to spend a good bit of time with him over over the last couple years and um you know, I think it's been mentioned, but I think it, it is important. You know, he's a very young man, you know, and and, and he was a, a fun, really playful kid who's who's now all of a sudden trying to uh, recognize the, the place he is in the world. And, and I think he's developed a lot in the last year, but he's still young, not just as a player, but as a person. I, I'm really, really impressed with the team of people that he's put around himself. I think it was a great move. He hired uh, Vernell Brown, who was the – Player personnel director at Florida, former UF uh, football player who's just an outstanding uh, leader and and mentor for him. And and he's part of Team Richardson. and going to help him just across the board. I think that was a great move. And uh, I think he's going to just mature uh, both as a player
2: and as a person every year. Danny, when you watched Anthony Richardson, Danny Warfel's our guest, by the way, on the Payless Secrets Hotline. When you watched him at Florida in the 13 games that he was playing, did you more often than not find yourself watching him and thinking to yourself, "This guy can be an elite level NFL talent," or did you more often than not find yourself in watching him and think to yourself, "This guy's a great specimen, but I don't know yet that he understands how to be a quarterback"?
5: Uh, you know, there's uh, enough evidence to think both of those things at the same time. You know, there, there were times where he he made plays that you just no one else would make. You're like, how does this even happen? And then there's other routine things that you're like, oh, man, that little mistake just cost us a good bit. So I think, you you know, you have evidence to, to, to think both of those things are true. But I really do, again, go back to the fact that, you know, you can make a lot of, of, a, of a little pass here or there that he missed. You can go uh, look at some of the games or looked especially early in the year, like confidence was rattled. and um, But then you got to go back and say, look, he's a very young man. Uh, he has hardly played very many games at all. Uh, and so there's just there's so much potential there. And I think more importantly, just this willingness, this this humility this, uh, that goes along with his confidence, but this this eagerness to be teachable, to learn, to grow, that I think is, is a really strong uh, aspect of who he is, which which bodes well for him being a great player.
0: Danny kind of hit, hit on it there. I want to expand on it. And by the way, Danny Werfel's with us, 1996 Heisman Trophy winner from Florida. You know, again, 13 games of experience is really unheard of uh, to be a first round pick, let alone a top five pick. We've already started the old playing time debate how early that needs to happen in the NFL. Uh, how early do you think it, it would benefit Anthony Richardson to play here in year one?
5: You know, uh, my my general thoughts on that matter is the longer you can wait uh, before you're the guy, the better at at any any aspect of being a quarterback in the NFL. I mean, it's tough duty, and the last thing you want to do is get in and get get beat up, throw a bunch of interceptions, get people down, get your confidence down. And so I think in in general, you know, my, my thoughts is the longer you can wait where you're on the field and playing the better you know i think there are uh, certain exceptions to that and i think there could be packages there could be situations where where things are phenomenal for him to get in the game and do things but uh you know i'd be more an advocate to try to try to not have him be the guy where when and if things go bad he's taking the fall for it that that's not a long-term to me way of, of developing a quarterback to be your guy um, so I think that that comes into play a little bit, but you know, again, I think you've got some creative coaching there that can uh, can really maximize some of Anthony's talents right out the gate. That could be fun, and we'll see how that that unfolds. I'm sure that's what everybody's talking about.
2: You know, I have said, Danny, and and I wanted your input on this because you know you're a guy that obviously is a Heisman Trophy winner. You come out of college. There's a lot of expectation for anybody at that level in the NFL. But my concern for any quarterback, any young quarterback, and you kind of touched on it there, but. I feel like there's the, this window of time, and if that if it doesn't take off for a quarterback within that window, and I don't know what it is, whether it's a year or 20 games, but if a quarterback gets his confidence rattled at the professional level within that window, that there becomes a point where there's no coming back from it, and all of a sudden there's just kind of almost like a quarterback PTSD, and that's what you have to be careful to avoid with a guy that you're expecting to be your franchise guy. Does that analysis make sense, or does that sound like a guy whose peak was going two undefeated years in middle school?
5: (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think there's so much to that. I think if you just look at the numbers over time, there's very few players that played early that that didn't do well and then came around to be special you know i'm thinking of Brett Favre and Peyton Manning in, in unique situations where um you know the 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 mental toughness the the belief that their team had in them despite whatever happened they were going to be the guy long term and i think that those are rare i think that's a very rare thing to happen i think you've got a lot more examples of, of players that got in early didn't do well and never recovered and then I think you've got a lot of examples of guys that kind of fit for a little bit, watch a little bit. You've got Aaron Rodgers. You've got Tom Brady. You've got some of these other amazing players who didn't have to get in right away, got adjusted to life in the NFL, uh, got to see, it, see the game from the sideline a little bit, develop their understanding, maturity, and then all of a sudden they're, they're all pro players. So I think that's the, the, the more normal trajectory. But again, anything can happen.
0: Danny Warfel is with us, 1996 Heisman Trophy winner. Danny, kind of moving away from Anthony Richardson here for a second, I, you strike me as a very humble individual. Ego seems to be uh, nowhere to be found whatsoever. When you see all this NIL money, do you think to yourself what it could have looked like for you in the mid-'90s?
5: Yeah, every now and then there's a twinge of, what the heck? Uh, <laughs> and,
2: uh, I think
0: of you, I think of Tebow. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, talking about Florida quarterbacks. Come on now.
5: Yeah, that's funny. I was walking through the Florida facility the other day, and I was thirsty, and there wasn't anybody around. But there was one of those little refrigerators where they had the, the, the Gatorade in it, and I was like, I should really ask. But no, I don't. I, they owe me a Gatorade. I'm like, I a
2: Gatorade. proudly. So that was my nil. Hey, um, were you a better football player or pickleball player? <laughs> well, clearly uh, I was a
5: better football player, but I am working on the pickleball. Um, it's probably don't tell the gator fans my favorite sport i've ever played i absolutely love it and you know anyone can play anyone can get good but it's like like a lot of sports it's hard to master
2: and uh i've just really really enjoyed it you know i think one of the great things i have said this danny if i was a guy like in my early 30s and got and i had to move and i moved to a new city right all of a sudden a boom you you got i got to move to you know whatever dallas for a new job It would be the perfect way to meet people because at my gym, there's constantly people playing pickleball and they're like from all ages like across the board, right? Like teaming up together and and playing together. That aspect of it I think is very cool. Incredibly fun social sport. You know, my... Eight-year-old nephew played a match with
5: my 77-year-old mother the other day. They were teammates and had a great time. And uh, all the way up to you know professional level athletes, Jack Sock just just won a, a pickleball tournament. Uh, he's one of the best tennis players out there still, and he, he he's been
2: dabbling in pickleball. So the, the it's just a great a great sport. If anybody hadn't tried it, they they're missing out. I have always been fascinated, Danny Warfel, by the Heisman Trophy. So allow me to ask this. When you win the Heisman, do they give, are there like two variations of it? One for the school to display and one for you? Or do you guys have to like, do you have to like every two years go back to Florida and be like, here, you guys can borrow it for a year and then I'll come back and pick it up again. Yeah, it was a lot of negotiation over
5: time and calendars. No, there's two. They uh, they make one uh, for the winner and then one for the school. So each each group gets to proudly display it.
0: Danny, what uh, what's the post-career been like for you? I know um, you're involved with the foundation, heavily involved with the foundation, but tell us a little bit about uh, Danny Werfel nowadays.
5: Great. Well, my entire life's mission has been to inspire service and unity in the world, and uh, through the Werfel Foundation, we get to do that all across, we, we do a lot of work supporting desire street which works in inner cities all over the southeast that's a big thing that we do we also have the warful trophy which is a college award for community service so it's a football award uh, for division one football players so we do that and we also support a lot of other nonprofits around as well and so just tons of fun we've had golf tournaments and now we've got a the big celebrity pro-am pickleball event that we've been doing and uh just uh Telling my wife the other day, I'm very fortunate. I've given given my life to nonprofit stuff. I thought it would be a sacrifice, and, and here in hosting golf tournaments and pickleball tournaments and, and getting to play and have fun and help a lot of folks. So it's
2: been a, a great journey. It's very admirable for certain for Danny Warfel, and again, great player and. Certainly appreciate the time this morning, and this pickleball thing's taken off like a rocket ship, man. Who knows? Before we know it, twenty years from now, you might be Danny Werfel, pickleball star, as opposed to the uh, the Florida <laughs> fans might say, you know what? Yeah, he, he's a he was a Gator, but he's a pickleball guy now, right? Yeah, well, it's a little bit like golf. There's a senior pro
5: tour. So there's some hope for me because I'll never catch up to the young kids. But I'm getting old, so maybe I can beat some old people.
0: Gosh, now I'm imagining Anthony Richardson on a pickleball court and how much room he could cover there with that size and with oh, that speed. My <laughs> yeah, let's start
5: training him there. Yeah, I'm going to talk to him. Hopefully I won't talk him out of playing for you guys.
0: Hey, that's, uh, that's already happened once in this market, so we need to keep Anthony <laughs> Richardson here for as long as possible. Danny, appreciate the go. time on this Tuesday morning. Thank you, and uh, I uh, hope all is well.
4: Thanks, guys. Take care.
0: That's Danny Warfel right there on the Payless Slickers Hotline. Again, the 1996 Heisman Trophy winner. Jake, I mentioned earlier in the show my early college football video game memories were if I wanted to win, just pick Florida – Or pick Marshall with Chad Pennington and Randy Moss. And I got thinking, in today's climate, there is no chance in hell Randy Moss would have stayed at Marshall for longer than
2: two years. Kevin, my favorite story that I tell, and I've told it before, so I apologize. But when I worked at Channel 6, we would, on Saturday afternoons, we would put out the the list of where the photographers needed to go to shoot different games we'd send somebody to Bloomington to shoot highlights of IU somebody to Purdue to send you know etc Joe Rodacap went up to uh, Muncie one day Ball State was playing Marshall and the typical protocol was go up there get two or three highlights as soon as you got two or three highlights bring them back so we can get them on the early show whatever Ball State's got like a one o'clock noon kick whatever it was And it's like 4.30, and I'm like, where the hell is Rodacap? Like, I got to get these highlights on the air. Like, where is he? Finally, at like probably 20 minutes before we go to the air, Rodacap walks in, sets a tape down on my desk, and goes, that was the most dominating college football performance I've ever seen. Like, what are you talking about? Like, what took you so long? He goes, I wanted to leave, but this wide receiver for Marshall, every single time I was about to leave, they got the ball back, and he just kept scoring more touchdowns. He had, I think – I think it was five touchdowns. It might have been six against Ball State. And, I mean, Kevin, they were like one-handed, circus, you know, five feet in the air. I mean, just incredible. And it was like, this guy's unbelievable. And, I mean, he was already – we knew he was a good player because, you know, there was the whole thing about Notre Dame and then Florida State and then Marshall and everything else. But, I mean, good Lord, he was an absolute freak, man. Yeah,
0: I got down a rabbit hole yesterday on just his – Collegiate stats, he had 28 receiving touchdowns in 15 games his first year at Marshall. His second year, he had 26 receiving touchdowns. Yeah. So in two seasons, he caught 54 <laughs> touchdowns. 54. This is a guy that also returned kicks for him and did punts. Uh, yeah, speaks for itself, Randy Moss. All right, uh, Elio Castroneves joins us in 15 Uh, The Pacers had some news yesterday on and off the floor. We can chat about that on the other side. Jake, I must say it was quite the stat yesterday. Um, Benedict Matherin, first team all-rookie, named yesterday. I didn't realize that I wasn't even born the last time a Pacer accomplished that. I'm going to guess. Have we discussed this? I, I feel like we might have at some point during... Matherin's rookie season, and, and I probably just gave it away with what I just said.
2: Well, I, uh, keep in mind, I always forget year you, you were born, <laughs> yeah, right?
0: Yeah, exactly, yeah. You're like, oh yeah, I mean, it <laughs> be
3: 72,
2: right? Uh-huh, yeah. You were born uh-huh. in 89, correct?
0: Yeah, Lyndon B. Johnson was the president when Kevin was born.
2: <laughs> uh, yes, born in 89. <laughs> okay, so... There are two guys that immediately jumped to mind. I mean, Chuck Person was rookie of the year, so there's your obvious answer. But, and, and I think a lot of people forget, Reggie Miller was not necessarily a star as a rookie. I think he averaged maybe 11 as a rookie. So I'll go with Chuck Person.
0: Uh, technically, I guess it would have been the spring of '89. Uh, Rick Smiths. Ooh, okay. The last pacer to make a first team. All rookie guys on the second
2: team. Funny, I I never would have guessed that, but Smits did have to play. You know, we, funny, we just talked about it yesterday, right? When I was talking about just kind of the robotic nature of him. Right. Smits had to, he got thrown to the wolves because Steve Stepanovich got hurt. And so all of a sudden he was in there playing.
0: You had a handful of second teamers, or you have had uh, in that span Chris Duarte, Miles Turner, Paul George, Danny Granger, Jamal Tinsley, uh, but Benedict Mather in the first. First team all rookie guys since Rick Smiths for the Pacers. Um, you know, I think a thing, and obviously, you know, I'm very biased because my obsession for Matherin has been well documented. But I, I think what you like about his rookie season is when I hear people talk about it, and maybe this is just how it ended because he didn't have the same sort of um, whatever level of production that he had maybe early in his rookie season. But it's a quick kind of like, yeah, but. With his rookie season of like, yeah, he had that great start, but yeah, you know, he kind of trailed off at the end. I mean, he still averaged 16, 17 points a game, and he didn't even play 30 minutes a game. Um, and I think, again, you have a very willing worker. I thought his comments late in the year were like, I need to become a better facilitator. I need to become a better teammate. And I found it fitting that the last game of the year, he had his career high, which, again, career high is just one year. But he has career high in assist. because I think he realized like, Yes, I can be kind of bull in a China shop, get in the lane, get to the foul line at a really high level. But at some point, you know, he's got to go from the, whatever, the the two-year-old kid that you put into the, uh, into the old China shop to the, you know, a little bit older kid that can now handle it, get in there and not just be, throw my body into a big guy and hope that I get the foul call. Can I draw a double team and facilitate? You know, do a little bit of what you saw in the game winner the other night from uh, the Sixers and the Celtics. Joel Embiid gets doubled. Realizes he's not going to try and force something and get a a foul called in that instance, kicks out to Harden, makes the right play, and Harden obviously wins the game.
2: I thought, I think I told you, there were several times this year where, to me, like I saw just this look in Matherin's eyes where he just looked like he knew he was that dude. You know what I mean? Which and
0: I, I love about him. I Totally. I think this franchise needs an edge like that.
2: Totally agree. You know, and so I think he's, I don't think that he is going to, there are certain guys, Kevin, that that when awards or accolades come their way, you can sense that the pressure mounts to them. He is not one.
0: Yeah. And I don't think he'll get complacent either. Um, I think he'll be hungry and be like, wait, Palo Boncaro won by that many votes For Rookie of the Year, you know, Walker Kessler was above me, you know, um, some of those things. Andrew Nemhard, by the way, did not just miss getting on the second team. Um, I do think he probably deserves some recognition there. Uh, Jaden Ivey was on the second team. I thought Pat Boylan had a really good stat. Pat and I were actually texting about this during the season. I kind of forgotten about it, but I'm glad that Pat followed up on this. I was curious, and I maybe asked Pat more from a Pacers standpoint. I was curious, Matherin averaged nearly six free-throw attempts per game last year, which again is a really high number for, for the Pacers franchise. Pat took it a step further, and he decided to look up most free-throw attempts for a rookie uh, since the turn of the century, and only three players in the last 23 years, have averaged more free-throw attempts as a rookie than Matherin. Uh, The three players, one, a former Pacer, and the great Tyreek Evans, who had a great rookie year. Uh, The other two would be first ballot Hall of Famers in Chris Paul and Luka Doncic. And I decided to kind of look at Pat's... You know, tweet and say, okay, now I'm curious, how many minutes did Doncic and Paul and Evans play? And all of them played. First off, they had many more starts than Matherin, and they all played more minutes. So if you want to get super technical into it, basically, Matherin average the most free-throw attempts per minute of any rookie the league has seen in 23 years. To me, I think that's a stat that you got to love if you're a Pacers fan because you haven't had great drivers, I think, here recently. Um, I think you have that to complement right now what you have around him and Buddy Heald and Tyrese Halliburton, and it's a nice combination of skill sets with those guys. And you got to think that over time, the jump shot will hopefully get a little bit more consistent, and he'll start to get a little bit more calls And for a guy that shot over 80% from the foul line as a rookie, if you're getting those free points, huge, huge for you. When
2: when it comes to Matherin and his future, Kevin, do you see him as being a clear Batman, a clear Robin, or a clear, like, almost a, a number three guy? Like, if you look at the Lakers right now, maybe a bad example because lebron is an aging player okay the celtics the celtics you've got tatum and brown right no doubt jalen brown jason tatum and not that order jason tatum's your alpha jalen brown is a really good robin and they're one and one a but marcus smart's a really good player right when you look at Benedict Matherin, is he, is it Matherin-Halliburton and now they just need auxiliary pieces yeah. or is he an auxiliary piece to another piece that has yet to come in?
0: Yeah, it, it's a great question. Something that I've thought to myself. Um, I think Halliburton and Matherin can have kind of that 1A, 1B feel to it. I think you need one more piece. And this is a conversation we can continue to have in the offseason, but I want to make sure that we do get to Elio Castroneves on time. The four-time champ. He's going to join us next here on Kevin and Corey.
2: Mark James on the call, IMS Radio Network and IndyCar Radio with Elio Castroneves winning his fourth Indianapolis 500-mile race. The drive for five continues this year, and he joins us on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Elio, I'll get right to this. When you hear that audio still to this day, it does what for you? Ah, oh, Jake. Let me tell you, man, that was uh, that was cool. Especially followed by the music. I'm unstoppable.
6: Yes, I am. I will be. <laughs> <Come on. laughs> Great talk to you guys. Great to be in the show. I can't wait. Month of May is here. That's um, that means. Um, yeah, Indy 500 is here. So super excited. Super 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 excited. Um, uh, when we had the test on April uh, for the open test, I felt the car really good, um, and especially in traffic. However, we still need a little speed. I can see some of the competitors really improve on their own, um, and that helps obviously if we're starting in the front. Like last year, last year we start so far back that we had to we had the whole race until we get to the top ten. But uh, starting a little bit better, we're definitely going to help us to be better for the for the win.
0: Okay, Ellie, you kind of hinted at it there. Um, I know it's more like a week from today when things really get started oval wise. But based off that one practice, your level of confidence coming up here in a few Sundays.
6: Super high um, again, and it's not only about um, being fast. Again, we, uh, we all know, Kevin, that this race is—it's <laughs> not where we started; it's where we finished. However, it, it helps going a little bit for, forward. Special because these days um, everything is so close, everybody's so tight in times, and uh, and and it's it's tough. And and the yellows not like used to be. Used to be have a lot more yellows in the past, but because. It's a little bit harder to approach the other car to pass. I believe maybe this year because we have some uh, areas that the series were able to allow to use uh, to increase downforce. We might have a little more, um, you know, potential people side by side in the corners,
2: and that should be uh, that should be fun too. Elio, I was thinking about this this morning, which should actually be pretty flattering because at six thirty in the morning, there's not a lot I'm thinking about, right? Other than trying to wake up, but. <laughs> You've turned, if I'm not mistaken, and my math could be off on this, but in the race itself, you have turned just under 4,200 total laps in your career at Indianapolis, right? And when you think about that, I was curious, and this is going to sound like a really dumb question to a lot of people, but let's just say 4,000 for the sake of argument. If you have turned 4,000 laps in the Indianapolis 500, how many different ways have you turned a lap? In other words, is every lap seemingly different than the one before?
6: Absolutely. And, and by the way, I don't know how you guys, which I'm impressed, by the way, to find out all these laps, all these status, because I don't know. I When you said right, I was like, hmm, I don't know. <laughs> this is a great way to, uh, to uh, start the month. Um, I have to say yes, because this place, people don't realize that it's not um, – a place that even those four corners are the same, the corners have some different angles, plus you put the weather in, in, uh, in, in the mix. Um, and when you have that, not every day is the same, right? There's always there is a little bit of temperature different, a little bit of breeze, and um, and that's why you always need to adapt. So, but again, you still, I'm still learning. I probably understand more what I need to do to achieve my goals, uh, then the others may be. And that helps me to put me in a position to uh, to be better than the others.
2: Hardest turn of the four for you, the most difficult is which? Uh,
6: I think it's, it depends on the wind. <laughs> depends on the wind. Am I, am I, I, I know it's one, is, but turn one is always the toughest one.
0: I guess this might might be a dumb question, Elio, but kind of keeping along those lines. Do, ideally, do you want the wind blowing you more towards the inside of the track versus the wall?
6: I would say, you know, it's funny that you said that Ken, because people say like, "Hey, northeast, northwest." It's like, guys, don't don't tell me north, south. I'm not a compass. <laughs> I, I, where is where what? You know, tell me like from turn four to turn two or tell me that way that those are what I understand. (laughs) uh, But uh, I think if you, if you have the wind hitting you on the nose in turn one, uh, probably you have a better, um, it it feels a little bit better because turn three has a little more banking. And even if the wind is hitting on the back, um, you can go a little wide, and or you can go a little lower, especially for the exit of the corner, the car to to, you know, fix with the wind uh, uh, direction. So that would be probably my uh, my preference.
0: He's Elio Castro obviously going for his fifth Indianapolis 500 coming up here in a few Sundays. Elio, we had Marcus Ericsson on yesterday, and he was talking to us about you know going back home to Sweden and you know how cool of an experience that was as the Indy 500 winner was just at the Kentucky Derby. Out of all your wins, what has been maybe the coolest moment? The coolest person you've met in celebrating your wins?
6: Uh, we can't. Um, we can't. Uh, I think all of you saw it, and for me, it was pretty much the same. I mean, me celebrating the win, last win in 2021, and when Mario <laughs> come over, and uh, I didn't know he kissed me. By the way, uh, uh, in my in my in my head, I. I, I was just like so happy to see him since we were actually the entire month that year, we're seeing each other because MSR has uh, uh, a particular, alliance, uh, technical alliance with Andretti. So it was really cool to see that and feel that it was kind of like a blessing from the gods of racing, you know? So that for me was, um, was really cool, but obviously I can't forget about RP. I mean, Roger, all the wins that I've been with him. The three of them. Um, it was so cool. Even the fourth one that he was in the podium as the as the promoter and the owner of the track, and it was really cool to uh, to have him there as well. So um, plus, and actually, I came. I, I, like I said, the last one, see Mike Shank running down the pit, <laughs> <laughs> crossing the the almost crossing the track, you know, to celebrate. That was a uh, that was incredible. So the last one certainly there there are a lot of memories for a lot of people plus part of history, right? Because that's where we matched number four with the with the incredible drivers Aj Foy, Rick Mears, and uh, Alonso
2: Senior. You know, Elio, a, a year ago. There was a lot of talk, obviously, of the drive for five. Penn Station East Coast subs getting on board. myershank Racing doing different promotions. That continues now. I mean, as long as you are in the car, there are going to be people talking about and focusing on whether or not you can get number five. I thought personally, in watching it last year, because I know that that we think of Elio Castroneves. You know, it's about winning. It's about winning the race. But I thought you had a heck of a run last year. Quite frankly, I, I thought. You and Simon both, you know, all of a sudden, late in the race, it's like, hey, you know, they they had to be methodical to work their way through, like you mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Is there equal reward in that? I know you want to win every race, but can you walk away with a seventh place and say to yourself, "We got the most out of it today"? Or is it always strictly about winning?
6: Ah, that's a great observation. Uh, I have to be honest; it was a tough race uh, because you 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 bump into different drivers along the way, some of them with no experience, that's the best one, because you can pass them quick, and some with, with experience that uh, then you're stuck because they know what they're doing. And and that's a, a challenge during the race, uh, find out when's the right moment to uh, to make a decision, because as I mentioned, <laughs> the cars are so weak these days, um, and, um, and obviously um, everybody's running at the same pace. It was my best result of the of the of the season. Actually, it was the seventh place uh, in the whole entire season. So shows that um, yes, and that's a good thing about it. I trust my, my setup. I know what I have. My car. My car is actually again is the same as the 2021 uh, win from from uh, for the win. So it's the same car again this year. So it's it, 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 I know what to do. I know what we need to do. We just like I said when I mentioned about speed. I noticed the Ganassi and even the, the, the cars, they are strong. You can see they have something a little bit more that we don't know, that they're about a mile and a half faster than anybody else. And, and again, and when you ask, how come this is possible because the cars are all the same? Well, that's the, the, the secret of the team, you know, they might have something, uh, different and, uh, that we're able, the preparation of the car, that it's not one thing. By the way, it's a combination of a lot of little details in the car that built to that. So, and that's what we've been working. Hopefully, uh, the off-season work will pay it off.
0: Started twenty seventh, finished seventh last year. It was the biggest rise of anybody in the race, Elio Castroneves, with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline um elio i don't know maybe tony Canon gets this question a little bit more or, uh, i feel like we've gone through this maybe before with tk but this will be it for him you've got a birthday that's on the horizon here uh how many more of these you got left in you
2: Birthdays so again, are racist. <laughs> 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 Let me clarify. There, I mean, come on, right? <laughs> Indianapolis five hundred starts
0: to to clarify that.
6: <laughs> That's right. Um, actually, uh, my, uh, so I get, I will get my number five. I'm telling you, and, and I love that because I I I know. Actually, it's funny you guys asking me this. As I was running this morning, and I was like, uh, ninety eight was my first season in IndyCar, and it's it's, it's twenty five years, right? So I'm like. Darn it, it feels like uh, like yesterday. I still kind of like had have some, you know, kind of like uh, excitement and nervousness, uh, butterfly in your stomach. As every race, not only one, but every race. So uh, it's 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 good. It's good. But again, um, uh, it, it's not fun as well when you don't have the uh, the result that you expect. But um, I'm gonna keep it going because I know, I know. And, and, the, it, it deep inside, a lot of fans, they want to see the history making, and I want to give that to everyone, but including myself.
2: Now, Elio, one of the drawbacks for you probably in terms of the course of the month, uh, I know you love fans. I know you love interacting with the fans. I've seen how great you are with them. Um, but you're going to have to interact with a fan with me on Carb Day. Let me explain. People can go mm. to Drive4Five, that's the number five, dot eliocom to register with Penn Station East Coast Subs. And then on Carb Day, after the practice is over, um, we're going to do a little meet and greet and kind of I'll show people your car and maybe the wheel and what what you're working with and then your chance to meet those fans as well. But I know what that means to you, to be able to meet the people that come out and support you at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway.
6: You're right, uh, my friend. It's actually uh, interesting to interact with everyone. I I get a lot of uh, requests from Cameo And so many people telling a little bit of their story regarding uh, the Indy 500. And it's amazing, I mean, to read um, uh, the requests uh, in terms of, uh, hey, uh, my dad is being a big fan of yours, or my dad is being for 50 Indy 500. I was like, holy moly, (laughs) that's a lot of 500. But that's cool, right? Because um, it's part of people's life. And that's what I enjoyed. Uh, I, I really like to hear the stories. I really like to, because they've been decades and decades and now passing through generation. And uh, yeah, if I were to be living in Indianapolis, I would do the same thing to my to my kids, you know, because it is a lot of fun.
2: You know, lastly, Elio, for me and for anybody listening to this who's been to the race, and I think you know this, maybe, maybe it took a while to grasp it, but... That place is so special to people, and I've always said the thing that makes IMS so unique is that everybody has a personal connection to it, and they feel that their personal connection is stronger or deeper than the person sitting next to them who has the exact same feeling. And I can only imagine what it must be like to drive past there, even in the middle of November, and see that venue and realize that no one has conquered it to a higher level than you have. Have you ever stopped well, to think about it?
6: Well well said regarding that place. Um, and now I, I don't think, in fact, I was talking, I don't think I still understand having my name cemented. Now it's cemented literally in the track um, forever. Uh, I believe just my, uh, my, my, I think my daughter or my, or my kids, daughter one day they're going to understand what I did and maybe when I'm actually the age of AJ Foy <laughs> I probably gonna say hey I actually did pretty darn good there <laughs> so but as of right now I um I have so much here still to still to accomplish you know and uh and I'm not taking anything for granted what I already did uh but I I feel my my purpose here is still to do something special that um be part of this this place so yeah indianapolis it is tattooing my heart and um i can't um,
2: yeah it will be forever so you are 47 years old correct for like another what day what's that <laughs> another day right until midnight tonight so another <laughs> 15 hours you're 47 years old uh I, i'm sure you know what goes well with milk we we certainly hope that you get milk again but birthday cake goes great with milk. So to, to finish you off, Elio... And, Should we um, apologize up front Yes, for this? we're going to apologize okay. for this, Elio, but this uh-huh. is from all three of us. Yeah. Are you ready? We'll do it quickly. Yeah. Happy, happy birthday, birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, <laughs> you. Happy birthday dear <laughs> Elio. Happy birthday to wow. you. All right. That was impressive. We will. Oh, um, Good job, guys. Wow. Well done.
0: Now, you're <laughs> you dancing the stars. Be- we could be on The Voice, that's, right? That's After right. that. Hey,
6: you that's should right. be singing a record deal right now, guys. That
0: was amazing.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that was well done. Hey, we will see you this weekend for the GMR Grand Prix, and then I look forward to, again, on Carb Day, Drive45LEO.com, where people can register for the meet and greet uh, there at the Myers Shank Racing Garage, and we look forward to another fantastic month, and watching you lead the cheers during the parade and all of it, Elio. It's always a pleasure.
6: Great to be with you guys. Looking forward to it, and it's going to be a great fun
2: month.
0: Happy birthday, Elio. Early birthday. Thank interview. you, guys. That's Elio Castronevis right there on the Payless Liquors Hotline, 48 years old tomorrow.
2: 48 years young, man.
0: And I was going to say, Jake, based off his answer, there is no stopping that individual from attempting to get that fifth anytime soon. Uh, thank you to all the people that reached out during that interview. Matt said this. Uh, This conversation is the Indy 500. It defines the 500. Great work by all. Elio, Jake, he's just got an incredible spirit. He's got an incredible Uh, spirit about him. Um, You would never guess the age.
2: I just love how he's wired. Kevin, I have, and I know I mentioned this before, I've broadcasted 200 and uh, some odd races, right? I've done, and I've been very, very fortunate. I, I think this is my... 17th 500 i I believe i've been involved in tragedy in racing you always try to keep a professionalism you always try to keep an objectivity um the only time that my emotion wavered or my voice cracked during a broadcast was when they came to me after the 2021 race to ask for my observations and recollections of seeing elio win his fourth it was the only time I've ever been emotional on a broadcast, and it had nothing to do with the fact that I had seen history and been part of a broadcast of a four-time winner, and everything to do with the fact that from a personal standpoint, I understood what kind of person I was watching accomplish that, personally speaking. Um, correct.
0: correct me if I'm wrong. He reached out to you when you had your heart attack, He was correct? the first to do so yeah.
2: amongst drivers, and I will never forget that, quite frankly, and he was genuinely um, compassionate mm-hmm. and I mean just to people have asked me my the, the number one question you get asked when you work in IndyCar if people are IndyCar fans one of the number one questions is is Elio really like that a hundred percent
0: yeah I Do mean you, that,
2: that's yeah. that's totally him
0: is he faking it for a 15-minute interview yes and, and I mean no he is not right and, and I, I've heard those same stories obviously you would know much better than I. I I almost forget last year and I'm glad you brought this up with him I mean, 27th to 7th is a hell of a race last totally. year. Totally, yeah. I mean, you had him, Juan Pablo started a little bit further behind, I think almost got in the top 10. But, you know, when you think about his confidence, and I clearly he feels pretty confident just from an entertainment standpoint, I love to hear. Marcus Erickson said it yesterday with us. Elio said it today. You know, the side-by-side passing in the turns, guys are pretty confident that you will have some pretty close racing, which I know, again, from a viewing standpoint is always something – that we want to see at the 500 did you guys happen to um see in mark i might have you um go to marcus erickson's twitter and have him ret- uh, retweet the helmet that he's rocking this weekend did you guys see what marcus erickson um is gonna be wearing coming up this weekend
2: did not hold on
0: so mark go to his twitter it's about four or five tweets um yeah. into yesterday uh, marcus cool. erickson teaming up with riley hospital for the mental health awareness month he's got four different paintings from riley kids that will make up his helmet design for the grand prix this weekend and after the race he's going to auction off the helmet and all proceeds are going to go to riley hospital just
3: awesome That's I, a very at, cool helmet oh,
0: such a cool helmet love the idea i mean i'm a dude from sweden and now, as he's told us yesterday, he's calling, you know, Indianapolis home and, and all of that. Um, you know, selfishly, my, my sister-in-law is a nurse at Riley, and I know just her stories are just absolutely incredible. So I, I, I love to see this. Absolutely love to see it's, it from Marcus Harris. You
2: know, the helmet's beautiful. I mean, the artwork the kids did here with hand and footprints. Um, really cool. And, you know, I... Little butterfly action, little lion. His drawings
3: are better than anything I could do.
2: Certainly. You know, not many of us knew much about Marcus Erickson last year. I remember, admittedly, late in the race when when it came down to Erickson and Pato, and I remember thinking, like, Marcus Erickson? Like, I mean, I I was around him and knew him a little bit, but, like, not well. And I'm thinking, like, is he going to move the needle? And I don't know that he has yet, but the thing about the Indy 500, and this is what I would encourage for people – to give time or to give understanding. The Indianapolis 500 is a unique event in the fact that there are no fluke winners. You know, there's not the team that that all of a sudden just like one year you're like how did that happen. Even drivers that were relatively unfamiliar when they won the race perhaps, then validated it later in their career where you look back and you go, "Oh yeah, that guy was the real deal." And Those that, I mean, for the most part, the biggest names in motorsport, there there is a list of people that are very accomplished motorsports drivers in different disciplines that ran Indy and did not win it. But it almost seems like it's no fluke that Graham Hill came here and won, that Jimmy Clark came here and won, that Jackie Stewart didn't win but came here and ran well. You know, Waman Walfangio was the biggest race car driver in the world, but came here as an older man and never even attempted to qualify, but just wanted to be able to go out there and say that he had been in a car from Argentina and running here. And so with Marcus Erickson, when he won the race, you're thinking like, oh, man, I mean, this is a guy that ran Formula One and, and kind of in, in obscurity and then came here. But he's he's backing it up now. I mean, he's won races since then. He's a points leader. He is consistent every single weekend. And for him to now move to Indianapolis and embrace it as his home, and I mean, this is a guy that barely spoke English three years ago, and now he's you know he's on the radio with us and you know is fluent and joking and laughing and just a, a nice guy and partnering up with Riley Hospital. I mean, there's a lot to like about that. I'm not trying to sit here and carry IndyCar's water, but you know that's another guy you can add to the hopper that people can try to follow if they want to jump in on the sport
0: mark has this tweet pinned uh to the top of our show account that would be at kevin inquiry um next week from a driver standpoint mark this is one every day alex Pelot, yep. tony canaan felix rosenquist potto award alexander rossi it's a pretty good quintet
3: and uh more to be announced we still got a couple days left this week and i I said we can take multiple drivers a a show so expect that
2: list to grow uh this by the way from our friend ralph reef uh jake hearing about the helmet for Ryler reminds me of great memories of dan weldon and i putting together a helmet design with the kids from the peyton manning children's hospital back in the time that weldon was driving brought back a great memory um Absolutely. And Erickson maybe doesn't have the gregarious personality of a Weldon, but in terms of the down to earth nature, very similar. Yeah. I know. Uh, and appreciate Ralph listening as well, by the way. It always b- makes me nervous when people of the clout of Ralph Reef are listening to us on the radio.
3: I see Ralph. Is Ralph still doing the butler?
2: He's, you know, you're talking about like an ultimate professional. Oh. Is this when you want to go through individual. your list
3: of colognes again? Is this a oh. good time? I'm always
2: thinking like. Somebody people- got on me for mispronouncing a few of them.
3: Oh, well. People
0: like Ralph, I'm always kind of wondering. Shaz Bond? Would they have judged my, you know, PBR and Long's Donut on that one morning? Well, you didn't have a shirt on. Well, the shirt, yeah. You know, I think that was the I key was part. Right? I was I mean, getting ready for the final Sunday the, in May.
2: The beer and, Simply what the I was beer doing. and donuts was a bit, a little bit secondary, more about my health. third health. Nothing year. against Ralph's
0: fashion sense. I'm a little bit more about, you know, his health background uh, for me and what he would have observed on that. Um, so, yes, Mark, again, has that tweet penned on the uh, drivers we have the rest of the month of May. An early look to this weekend, uh, the GMR Grand Prix. You'll have two different practice sessions, a morning and an early afternoon one on Friday. Qualifying is at 4 o'clock, and that's the road race coming up this weekend. Saturday, you're going to get a late morning warm-up and then a 3.30 race. Um, Jake, the early temperature view, upper 70s. That's wonderful. I am seeing about a 50% chance of rain for Friday and Saturday. But just to remind people, this is the road course. No lightning, they'll run in
2: rain, correct? Correct. They run okay. They run in in moisture. Now, if there is standing water to a puddling aspect, they would clear that off. But I mean, last year there was standing water and they call it rooster tails, the water that sprays off of it. So long as the water is not standing to the level of being a a complete impediment they'll run through it um and that track it runs off pretty quick so the standing water is usually not an issue but you are correct lightning would cause them to to red flag it and bring the cars in and get everybody to safety. 3
0: 30 will be
3: the gmr grand prix coming up this weekend and mark our pop quiz is upcoming and we're giving away we have got tickets to the Indy 500 qualifications and a pair of tickets to Carb Day. Nice. And, of course, your shot at a Jiffy Lube oil change as well.
0: And that will be all week long?
3: All week long. Too.
0: Mm-hmm. Love it. Uh, so that's the pop quiz coming up in a few. For now, let's do a morning check down.
2: Jimmy Butler had 27 points and 10 assists. Bam Adebayo added 23 and 12 boards. Max Struess, an undrafted player, with 16 points as the Miami Heat took control of the Eastern Conference semifinals against the New York Knicks. 109-101. They now lead that series three games to one. In the West, a game that I felt like was more pivotal because I felt like if Golden State was going to win the series, I I thought whoever won last night was going to win that series. I'll stick by it. Advantage L.A.
0: Uh, tonight, we have the opportunity for, really, it's best of three series, is how best to summarize tonight. You've got the Celtics back at home. They are taking on the 76ers. Uh, they are favored by 7.5 in that one, that series at 2-2. And then you've got the Nuggets hosting the Suns, 5.5 point favorite, Denver. That series is 2-2. So again, best of three series for the better-seeded teams right now. Nikola Jokic will play tonight, not suspended for the Matt Ishbia push the other night. He was fined twenty five grand. i am glad to see that. I honestly don't even know if he should have been fined, Jake, but I'm glad to see that he will be suiting up tonight.
2: Um, also, probably tough to mention just in a segment like this without getting too far into it, but Bob Huggins, the former University of Cincinnati basketball coach, now the head coach at West Virginia, uh, in some hot water, not yet to be determined what the penalty will be. After some comments yesterday that were less than appropriate on Cincinnati radio station WLW, using a homophobic slur and tying it in, by the way, with Catholicism, actually, for that matter, when talking about an old rivalry with Xavier University. No word yet from, at least to my knowledge, this morning yet from West Virginia on what discipline would be.
0: have not seen anything on that end. On the baseball front, I did want to sneak this in. Uh, shout out to uh, Ty Gillespie. You've got the baseball team from Covenant. Christian playing in the city tournament. Emily emailed us, Jake, and wanted to give a shout out here. Short stop there for Covenant Christian. So we got the city championship tonight over at Victory Field. The Indians right now are on a road trip. They'll be back next week uh, over at Victory Field. And kind of a quiet day around the Diamond. um, The Reds didn't play. The Cubs lost to the Cardinals. The A's stink. What else did I mention?
2: Uh, Covenant Christian's the Warriors, by the way, right? That sounds right. All right, Ty. Rough night last night for the Warriors, but no reason to believe that the Warriors aren't going to Take care of business in the IHSA City Tournament. So best of luck. Best of luck to all the teams, obviously. But coming to Christian, good luck. Good luck to Ty. Junior shortstop.
0: There all you right. Go. It is time for the pop quiz. Again, three one seven Uh We'll do this on the other side coming up.
2: By the way, you know a very underrated aspect of the Elio Nevis interview, Kevin? Outside of our singing. <laughs> Outside of our singing. Uh-huh. Was that? This always impresses me. You do a lot of hits, as we call it, with different radio stations, right? You know, the sure. the, the, the L.A. affiliate wants to talk to you because the Chargers and Rams are playing, whatever. Yeah. And whenever, and I'm sure you're the same. But when I do that, a lot of times I'll say, "Now, who am I talking to?" And they'll say, "Oh, it's going to be, um, you know, Eric and Stacy." Okay, thanks. And then when each one talks, you try to at least once say their name. Well, you know, Eric da da da. The fact that Castro Nevis knew the difference between the two of us is pretty impressive to me.
0: I've never met the dude. <laughs> I mean, you, you obviously have. Yeah, but so, I, I mean,
2: mean, but even still, like it's radio. It's not TV. He's not looking yeah. at us, right? I, yeah. And he referred to both of us by name during that, and, like and multiple times. Right. That's yeah. just such a savvy move. I know. He just,
0: guy. He just seems like a dude. You want to go. Give a high five, too, and say, go Elio! come the on! The absolute
2: best, man, when I'm telling fifth, you. Take you, your shirt
3: off, eat a donut and beer. Well,
0: again, <laughs> if there is any place in the United States where taking your shirt off, eating a donut, and drinking a beer is allowed, 16th and Georgetown would be
3: near the top <laughs> it's of that list. So, Shirtless Kevin uh-huh. Bowen on Carb Day is what you're telling it's us. It's law. Boy, I forgot we got
0: a Carb Day show coming up here. In two months, hopefully. Though I feel like we haven't two had months. Good, uh, sorry, two
3: weeks. <laughs> the hell <laughs> Can you imagine? Don't make this any longer than it's got to be. Kevin Bowen, host of the Fan, spotted shirtless on uh, <laughs> two months right. after the five hundred. <laughs> That's right. I feel like we haven't gotten good carb day weather in a while. I Feel like we were indoors last year. Is we were indoors right?
0: for the first was a first That's
3: right just hour, Jake, or first two hours. I think it was.
0: The, it might have been the first two hours. Then we got outside, and of course, banker or two before the end. <laughs> of the show um, alright Jake number 1 through 8 on a pop quiz that includes 2 hockey questions which boy is literally like the biggest hey Scotty there's your middle
2: finger Elio's going for 5 and he's in car 06 so you tell me Mark which oh, one that's 11 <laughs> oh, I know but I'm saying 5 or right. 6 we know Jake's graduating tomorrow let's not get it. <laughs> the, the mean of those 2 is 5.5 ok let's go 5 Mary <laughs> we got Mary on yeah
0: mary good morning oh oh, good morning mary mary how are you oh i am doing great how about yourself i am wonderful now i i don't know how many marys we have listening to this program so i'm gonna go out on a limb here mary did we run into each other a couple weeks back
1: Oh, we sure did. Um, it was at the Decorator Show House. It yes. was so great to meet you. I felt I was meeting a celebrity, which you
2: are. <laughs> <Please>. <laughs> I felt like I was, but I, I wasn't really. <laughs> there was a split second, Mary. I
0: thought about FaceTiming Jake in. Um, she was thrilled. Uh, and you are a past, I don't think, just participant. I believe, If I'm not mistaken, Mary, you're a past winner of the pop quiz.
1: I, I was. I went down and got my Jiffy little oil package and i got it done and i was very thankful it was great
2: (laughs) now mary i'm curious um yep first off i I think you might be our second ever female caller so i i appreciate that that, right oh my gosh what's that mark He's also our first oh record. you were the first also first so you're record. still our first right.
0: yeah if you don't mind call in about four months from now so we can check the third one off the list
2: um <laughs> if you if you came in and you were the boss for the day what would you change about this radio program is there anything you'd change
1: oh well maybe you need a female on there every once in a while
2: well, yeah okay that's fine i don't disagree <laughs> with that here we are right now it, would you if we were going to have a female at our pbr party diet cokes are fine oh, would you want to come and hang out and have a pbr
1: yes i was i was going to invite myself because okay i was, I was hurt and, that you know i i really don't drink pbr but i i, I will
2: diet coke's fine know. would you find yourself no, I, wanting to chat more with kevin or with with me that would be jake
1: Oh, oh gosh, that's a hard yeah, one. you got to yeah.
2: choose here, Mary. You got to yeah. choose, Mary.
0: I I apologize that Jake does this. Sometimes he <laughs> yeah, needs the uh, ego uh, fed. Uh, and I, before... I, I
1: pick Mark. Will Mark be there? Hell yeah, I'll thank be you, there. Mary. I'll come oh, on, you. <laughs> Mary. Mary, why are you
2: bugging? All right, okay. Would you like for me? That would be Jake. Or would you like for <laughs> Mark's gonna be or Jake's gonna be weeping tomorrow, walking across no stage kidding.
0: after hearing that. Uh,
1: uh, I got to go with Kevin because
3: I've met him, so I got to go with Kevin. Jake is third in that list. Mm. I like well, it. Mary, you are I'll easily the favorite listener in Mark and I I's.
0: <laughs> if you want to call in tomorrow, it's just Mark and I for three hours tomorrow,
2: actually. I got some oh, emails okay. I got to get to. We'll get, get rid of that third wheel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, Mary, would you like. For, well, I'll tell you what, you don't have any choice. Kevin, start her off. All right, here we okay. go, Mary.
0: Always good oh, hearing your voice. Uh Pacers guard Benedict Matherin was named the NBA's all rookie first team yesterday. Who was the last pacer to make the all rookie first team? And if you've been listening, we did mention this. Oh, no God. no pressure. Uh, A yeah. Paul George, B Danny Granger, C Rick, Rick Smits, or D. Rick <laughs> Look at that. Look at <laughs> okay, I didn't even
2: get Chuck Person's name out. Miss Mary Mary O'Contrary. Uh, here is your question number two: Two current Pacers made the the All Rookie First Team while playing for other franchises. Tyrese Halliburton was the first team, of course, All Rookie player with Sacramento in 2021. Who is the other current Pacer to have been an All Rookie selection with a different franchise? Was it George Hill, Buddy Hield, T.J. McConnell, or Jalen Smith? Oh.
1: Oh, gosh. Okay. Um,
2: He did it with the same franchise as Tyrese Halliburton.
1: Oh, Buddy Hill? Okay. Okay, Oh, shoot.
0: No, Mary, got tr- okay. tr- trust yourself. Come on now. Um, okay, buddy. Well, yeah,
1: he's with Sacramento, and Tyrese was with Sacramento,
0: so I'm going <laughs> Look at this. Show your work. Mary's showing her work right now. Now, Mary, we're going to go to <laughs> hockey, because for some oh, reason God. Scotty woke up on the other side of the oh, bed yeah. this morning. Uh, number three here, which NHL team has yet to win a game in the second round of the 2023 Stanley Cup playoffs? Might need their passport uh, to figure this out. Um, a, the Toronto Maple Leafs, B, the Edmonton Oilers, C, the New Jersey Devils, or D, the Dallas Stars? Um, okay. Uh, Jake, you're going to be heading here in what? A few months, right? That's right. I'll go to
2: Roots, my favorite yeah. clothing store. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh,
1: Say one more time. I'm sorry.
0: Yeah, is it uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs, the Edmonton Oilers, the New Jersey Devils, or the Dallas Stars?
1: Uh uh maybe the devil shoot.
2: <laughs> was very that, confident. Was
0: that your description of Scotty for having two <laughs> hockey questions on here or yeah. is that your answer? Uh
1: okay, is that wrong? Maybe the hurricane. I I
0: I would just maybe try and use your passport if you're if if you're going to.
1: My passport?
2: Yeah, uh uh-huh. oh. Jake might need oh, his passport.
1: Oh, okay, uh Maple Leaf then.
2: Okay. Uh question number four for you, Mary. Back to I Sacramento. Remember. Sacramento was actually the fictional city of a television show in the eighties starring Dick Van Patten and his eight children. children—many uh, maybe it was six children. Uh what was the name of the show? Oh oh oh
1: so eight is enough?
2: <laughs> <laughs> that that is correct. Although question number four actually is this, Mary. Name the team that won last night's NHL draft lottery. Was it Anaheim, San Jose, Columbus, or Chicago? Oh
1: jeez. Uh, yeah. Who's got time to watch all these things? Yeah, Um, I'm with you. Columbus.
0: (laughs) Mark was happy. I don't know if that helps you out at all, Mary, but Mark was pretty happy about
1: this. Happy. Mark was happy. Uh, Oh okay
2: say the choices one more time I'm sorry which NHL which NHL franchise which happens to share the same nickname as the Sheridan High School athletic teams won last night's NHL draft lottery the Anaheim Ducks the San Jose Sharks the Columbus Blue Jackets or the Chicago Blackhawks I
1: don't
2: don't know the Blackhawks (laughs) okay yeah throw a dart at the board there
0: we go
4: All right,
0: Mary this is a pop quiz filled with integrity so for this last one you might have to cross the street by yourself here, okay? okay. On this day in 1984... She would be the
2: bane of Scotty's existence if she gets this right.
0: <laughs> the White Sox and the Brewers concluded the longest game by time in Major League history. The eight-hour, six-minute game had begun the night before and lasted 25 innings. Name the Sox player whose walk-off homer from the left oh. side of the plate in the bottom of the 25th gave Chicago the win. A, Ron Kittle, B, Greg Luzinski, C, Mike Squires, or D, Harold Baines?
1: Uh, I, uh, Luzinski, I don't know. <laughs> Luzinski <laughs> kind of sounds I was, like was, a
0: swimmer, right?
1: I was 22. I don't
0: know. Yeah. No, that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> I was five and a half years <laughs> away from...
2: Uh, were you Mary, born? Mary, yeah, Mary from, what were you doing at the age of 22? Born. Were you living in 42?
1: Indy? Uh, no, I um, I actually was doing an internship in uh, Springfield, Ohio. Okay, nice. Not Springfield, Ohio. Springfield, Illinois. Jeez.
2: Boy, that must have yeah. been confusing when you first had to arrive. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, <laughs> it, yeah, and Mary, Illinois. I... I did want to mention this. We, we crossed paths a few weeks back at the Decorators' Home Show. Um, yeah. And I mentioned this uh, on the show prior, but it's a wonderful Mother's Day gift coming up th- this weekend for people who want to check it out. And correct me if I'm wrong, all proceeds benefit uh, Eskenazi and the Mental Health Center, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, St. Margaret's Guild has been doing this for um What sixty-two years now, and it's a it's a great event to go to, and uh, it's kind of a tradition. My mom and I used to go every Sunday. Rest in peace, mom. Um, And it's really fun, and it's it's a lot of um, designers get together, and they do a room. And um, I was lucky enough to participate and do a room, and it was just a it's it's a very great philanthropic organization go to, and it's a fun event, and to see the latest styles and designs by um, designers that donate their time um, to the, to the cause. So it's, it's really fun. So there's just a few more days left.
2: Mary, did you grow up in Indianapolis? I guess if you and your mom went to that or were you a native of Illinois?
1: Oh, I was born, I had a bone to pick with Kevin because I was listening one day when you guys said the least likely state that you would ever like to live in. And I almost, I almost called (laughs) because Kevin, you said North Dakota and that's where I was born.
0: Oh, Mary. Well, there goes any chance of you and I getting
2: that beer. Jake just moved above me on That's the right. list now. Guess who just slid up the ranks <laughs> there, huh, Mary? Uh, yeah, uh, but
1: I, I, I moved here when I was like five. So now,
2: I, are, I you from, to, I, are you yeah. from Bismarck? Are you from Fargo? Are you from Mino? I was,
1: born, I was born in Bismarck. I We lived in Fargo for a while. Yep, there wasn't much to do there. You're right. It's cold till May. Mm-hmm. mary had i known
0: this it would have been at least in the top 23 which is about where we are in the mid-market <laughs> rankings so, that's right uh <laughs> no ill will there uh we,
2: we did just pass bismarck last week though so that's cool <laughs> uh
0: mary no matter what jiffy lube oil change and mark uh qualifying tickets and carb day tickets oh.
3: for mary yeah, as well carb day and quals, yeah carb five day and five is for oh, the oil change my-
1: goodness.
0: Five for five is for the oil change. Wait, 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 Mary. Let's see how you did here. You don't want to count Uh, your chickens here. uh, Too early, Uh, but there is a a participation trophy (laughs) element to it. Uh, Jake, we uh, talked about this about an hour ago. The last Pacer to make the all-rookie first team?
2: The Duncan Dutchman out of Marist, Smith. That is correct.
0: All right, number two. Two current Pacers made the all-rookie first team while playing for other teams. Tyrese Halliburton did it in 2021 with the Kings and in 2017? Buddy Heal. Loud and proud. Now maybe some slight coaxing on the hockey questions, which again, two hockey questions on one pop quiz. Scotty, whew. yeah. Uh, which NHL team is yet to win a game here in round two? Down 3-0 to the Florida Panthers?
2: That would be the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, see. great. Uh, and the Chicago Blackhawks won last night's NHL draft lottery. <laughs>
0: Mark. Mark shirtless for that one. And number five, this White Sox player whose walk off homer in the bottom of the 25th gave Chicago the win. Scotty, is this guy a lefty too? Yes. The okay.
2: most controversial Hall of Fame selection in Major League Baseball. Really? Harold Baines, the correct You hand. blew it! Mary, stay on the line. Still gets the qual, still
0: gets the carb day tickets. Thank you for that. We did have Lara Overton on last week but we could probably use a little bit more of a female listenership giving us a call. But, hey, the Pop Quiz every day at 317-239-1070 on that. Um, and, again, we'll be giving away Carb Day tickets and calls all week long. Uh, we'll do it one final time here, Kevin and Quarry, on a Tuesday. Now, Mark, I have no idea, but what were the Blackhawks? Uh, what were the odds? On 11%. Them? Wow. Were yeah.
3: So the base- 11% chance to win, and they, they pulled it off. So now, Connor Bedard, hopefully going to be a Blackhawk in the is near future. Is he Victor Webb and Yama? He is considered, yes, a highly touted, highly, highly touted prospect.
2: That, He's uh, a seven-five hockey player? <laughs> he is. <laughs> wow. uh, Manute Bull, right? Uh, yeah, that's right.
0: Um, and now that is a week from Tuesday? Or is that? I believe that's wait. right,
3: yeah. It's a bit faster than the NBA situation. So uh,
0: Well, the NBA is, is a week from today, right? The lottery? But sometime next week. The NBA lottery. Which well, I,
2: speaking of which, I know yeah. we've
0: done the tankathon just kind of joking manner, and it's like a six or seven percent chance. But I mean, can you imagine if the Pacers got the number one overall pick?
2: Okay, here we go. We're going to do a tankathon real quick. We haven't done one in a while, right? It's been a little while. the The Pacers currently sitting at the what did you just say, Kev?
0: Um, it's like the seventh or eighth position, right?
3: Yeah, the NBA draft
2: lottery is a week from today.
0: Yeah. Tuesday, the 16th at 8:30 on ESPN. Pacers East.
2: currently sitting seventh. We do the. Do you have the uh, jingle of there? Of course Mark? I Here do. Here we go. Of course I do. With the seventh pick Ugh. and the 2020. Ugh. Do you guys want me to and do Now I one remember more? why we haven't done it. You want, you want to spin it again? Fine. Maybe With it's the second it. pick. No! No! In the 2023 NBA Mock Draft Tankathon, the Indiana Pacers select Brandon Miller from the University of Alabama. Orlando is on the clock. Uh, this also still has Jalen Hood Shafino slotted at 16th. It would have the Pacers taking Marcus Sasser and Noah Clowney, 26th and 29th. Uh, Trace Jackson Davis now showing up in the early second round, 32nd pick overall. Again, obviously they just rank the players here after a certain point. Um, Zach Eady, 47th now. So there you go.
0: One week from today will be the lottery, so we'll know the position of the Pacers. See how much they move up. Again, teams that have been slotted 7th each of the last, I think it's 5 years, have moved into the top 4. So that will be the hope for the Pacers. Um, I know it's not necessarily on an NBA draft front, but certainly on a college basketball front. I know our primary focus tends to be Indian and Purdue. Jake, um, Butler has nine new players into their program
2: for next year. I got to hope that overhauls what they what they want. I mean, it's what they wanted, right, I guess, to just kind of turn over things. Two left from
0: the Laval Jordan era. Two.
2: A lot of trust Six. there in that motto, right?
0: Six transfers, three freshmen uh, out of the nine new faces. I remember talking to somebody in the program late in the year you know remember when they had was it Eric Hunter yeah Eric Hunter and Manny Bates like the night before the the day of the Big East tournament game they were ruled academically ineligible for, for Butler he um, was pretty much like oh yeah there will be a lot of roster change it's not like these are graduation transfers right. The or. Guys that are necessarily out of eligibility. This is their leading scores. This is you know young guys, older guys, um, people that just transferred for Mata last year, you know, guys that have only been a Butler for one year. Um, so it is a massive overhaul. Um, there's a quote from Mata in the Indy Star of um, I needed to find more of the types of players that
2: I need to coach. You know what's interesting is. The best recruiting class they ever had, you could argue, was a group of players that I don't think anybody made it past like year two. I remember it was um, Jamie Smulligan and Nick Brooks. And there was a kid out of Florida in that group. It was when they, when they first had started making tournament runs and were able to kind of cash in a little bit on their on their cachet. This was pr- previous to like when Brad Stevens took over, but I think either the Lick lighter, maybe even Mata, right? You know, in the one year that he was there, but. Sometimes, Kevin, with, with personnel and rosters, you just don't know how personalities are going to mix, how players are going to fit in. You just don't know. Yeah. And I mean, Butler is one program that has just kind of decided to, to always kind of just do it their way, right?
0: You know, that class you mentioned certainly one of the early ones. I, I do think, I mean, if you're talking the best class Butler's ever had, Gordon Hayward, Shelvin Mack.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, that obviously turned out to be. And, but, I mean, in terms of the – let me rephrase that. In terms of – The the hype coming in, prestige of the recruits. Yeah, yeah. the prestige of the recruits. You know, but yes, I mean, obviously those guys were great. Yeah, I think
0: Norad also in that class, if I'm not mistaken. Um, all right, Jake, this time
2: tomorrow, will you be walking across stage? You know, I don't know. They said it starts at ten. Okay. Um,
0: You'll be just, you know, spitballs at your classmates plugging with tassels.
2: Actually, I'll be sitting apparently in the uh, am I sitting in the crowd? I don't know. Uh, but I'll probably be streaming the show. Right. It's gonna be kind of awkward to like sit there and listen to somebody like sending off the graduates into like Do we have a speaker? Trying to launch your career. I don't know who the speaker is. I they do. And is it you? It is not. It's Derek Schultz. (laughs) <laughs>
3: That'd be great. That'd be outstanding. All right. We have a roast, actually,
0: before we get started here. Derek, please come forward.
2: You know, th- through the whole process, Kevin, um including. You know, when you do the classes online, you are you have to do a lot of interaction because they're trying to simulate a class experience. So you get assigned a lot of things where you have to like evaluate peers or give your paper to a peer and they they critique it and send it back and that kind of a thing. And I mean nothing of this meaning as somebody who works in the radio or the media, but just based on my age. I never wanted to be anything other than their classmate and not be like the old guy that has, you know, whatever, or has, I mean, I took, I had to take a broadcast media class. Um, It was one of the electives that I had to have. And I, I went by my official name and was just a student in the class. I mean, I was nothing other than somebody who was trying to do the same thing as the other presumably early 20s people that I was taking the classes with and that was to complete college classes that's what I was doing so that's how I've approached it the whole time and um, I am no different than any of the other presumably young adults most of them that will be walking tomorrow but um, I'm happy for all of those folks that they were able to complete the requirements and do so at a much more accelerated rate than did I
0: well I think it's really cool um, I know that you've know. You mentioned there's an element of, uh, well, I should have just got it done earlier. You usually could have thrown in the towel and, and not done it, so congrats. A
2: couple times um, I almost did.
0: <laughs> I'm not going to lie. And we look forward to your call tomorrow from US 31.
2: All right, sounds good. Congrats. All right, we'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Thank you.